The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh, yeah, you could be king, king, king of these nuts. You know <laughs> Our house, Jerry. Straight up, G. Somebody please explain to me how we are giving credibility to Glenn Gilbert. This is BS! This sucks! I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn! Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 22. We are a TNA history podcast that goes through a month of TNA history in every single episode. This episode, we're talking about March 2004. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, hey. Hey, this month has been cursed. Why is it cursed, Liam? Tell me. Because this is like the third week of trying to record this. Yeah, you had college stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I got sick. And then you got sick. Mm. And then I got sick again, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah, we've reached the stage where we just have to do it. We just have to sit down and record our wonderful episode about March 2004. Although, we could have we could have just skipped the month. And it could have been like the Long Lost Podcast. And then we could put it on the Patreon later on for our best friends who pay us the most amount of money to listen to. Yeah, it's a good strategy where we create lore around March 2004. It's the lost month. It's the forgotten month. It's the month you don't know what mm. happened. And then when we become monstrously successful, that's when we unleash it. Yeah, and then we'll post that up to tnachad.com, the Patreon service that you can go subscribe to right now. Actually, no, let's record this now, right? Okay. And then like, we'll make a tweet like, oh, no, we lost the podcast. Oh, we're just going to have to skip it. And then... Yeah, once we hit like a certain number of patrons, just to really get it in there, we'll make that the highest tier. <laughs> and then pretend we just found it? Yeah, we're like, oh, we recovered it. We ran it through a, a program and it works now. Magic audio editing services that did not exist when we recorded the episode, but have since existed. And then we fixed the episode. So there we was a it. backup on our hard drive that we never found. Which there is. We do record a backup of every episode to try and Shut avoid doing anything. <laughs> Giving away the whole fucking barnyard. Yeah, speaking of Patreon, I started listening to a podcast this week, and I just looked at their Patreon, and they make $70,000 a month. So, you know, just almost as much as us. Yeah, just, 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 like, we're, we're nibbling at their heels. We'll get, we're getting there. But it was, like, 70 grand a month. Yeah. I mean, like, then you, like, that's what blew me away about the Comtown numbers. The first time I went and looked at their Patreon, and it's, like, 250 grand a month. <laughs> So much money. You're just like, god damn. I mean, like, if you can get to that level, I'm not going to fight you on it, but like, whew. That is the most, like, 2021 thing. I'm not even going to give it the 2022 moniker. That's like a 2021 thing right there. Mm-hmm. When did podcasting, like, blow up? Because uh, I feel like we're on the downswing now. <laughs> we're, we're, now. We're still probably in the growth period, but it was like, I don't know, 2014, 2015, when people, like, when 
podcasting just became a thing anybody can do. Maybe a little earlier. But yeah, like the, the turn of the decade 2010 was when like everyone realized I have a microphone. I can record my voice and put it on the internet just like everyone can make a YouTube video. I would disagree in that I think that era was dominated by procedural stuff where it was like... These are essentially like radio, not radio plays, but like, you know, it's the murder mystery stuff. And then I think the dawn of everyone getting their own podcast was like more 2014, 2015, where everyone's just like, oh, I can go buy a mic and it can be my thing. Mm, it can be my personality to have multiple podcasts. Yeah. yeah. And then you know, some lunatics could have like three, four podcasts. <laughs> some people talk into a microphone far more than anybody ever wants them to. Listen, I am a white dude. It is long established our only personality trait is having podcasts at this stage. It's a very interesting thing when people like talk like bring it up and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's me. Podcast boy. Yeah. I mean, it becomes a level where it's like, uh, as soon as you can justify it in some financial manner, you're like, you feel a little less guilty about being a podcast guy. So, you know, we actually have 49 patrons and they're really nice, cool people who give us money every month. Thank you. They're our best friends. Whom we love. It's not just, you know, recording to the void, which I've done far too much of in my life. But that's how you got to do it, though. I mean, mm-hmm. we were very fortunate that I... I was very fortunate that I could cash off your Twitter fame to just jump in straight away. And we got on a network through that Twitter fame. And have a, I think, modestly successful podcast at this stage. Yeah. We haven't broken into the, the Brandon Thurston wrestling Patreon list yet. That's mm-hmm. the, That's the end goal. Though I was looking at that list, when you look at the the percentages, we are in like the top 25% of wrestling Patreons. Eat shit. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Fightful. (laughs) No, they they make a lot more money than we do. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. We should set up much larger tiers to make up that difference. Yeah, just the, if you're really rich and you like the show. (laughs) (laughs) Voices of Wrestling Stash, donate. There is a donate button that you can give us Fightful money. You probably shouldn't. If you're a billionaire uh-huh. and you love this show, feel free to slide a couple cold million. And also fund us launching Wrestle 2. Tony Khan, <laughs> I know you're listening, alright? I know you pay attention. Please, Wrestle 2. I can make it work this time. He clearly tunes into this show to farm all his ideas for AEW TV, and that's why you see the long-reaching influence of NWA TNA. I mean, can you blame him, though? Hmm. There's a lot of great ideas. Uh, especially this month. Have you seen the new franchise break up? That story's tremendous. That's basically the Wardlow story. He's stolen it straight from the new franchise. And that was Abyss and Kid Cash. Oh, my, I'm sorry. Come on, get our bits together. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I assume some very rich... Um, maybe some big NFT personalities listening. And they, no. can, they can sponsor us. But we'll, we'll only take the real money, though. Like, if you can cash it in in some way, then send us real money. We'll take it. No. Also, NFT people are just broke now, so they don't even have money anymore. Okay, well, um, Garrett doesn't speak for me or for the podcast. Please, I will still take it. You can send it directly to me. You don't have to even go through Garrett if you don't want to. I'll be the sole owner of Wrestle 2. So, anything else going on in your life? I obsessively played a lot of Vampire Survivors this week. Uh, it made me check out the game, and I was like, this has to be fun, because visually I don't give a shit about this. Oh, this is the classic 2D pixel art thing that you're like, no, I'm a modern gamer. I don't even, I just don't really like pixel art in general, unless it's something like, what's that uh, JRPG? Octopath Traveler. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mind Reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I emerged from a haze on Sunday night, having played it for like six hours and played it for like 10 hours that day. 
And it was one of those things where it was half three in the morning. And I was legitimately like, how is it half three in the morning? Like, I, I looked at messages on my phone that I hadn't replied to that were, like, four hours old. Yeah, that's always the good sign when you have those messages from that long ago and you're like, wow, okay, I was really into whatever I was doing. I just got lost in this thing and I was just gone from the world for six hours. And when I emerged, I had, like, a headache the next day and I clearly overexposed myself to screens and I didn't get enough fresh air and I just felt... It. I literally played video games till I was ill and I am a, a crumbling old man who can't do that anymore. I remember I definitely had that experience with Fallout one time, mm. where I started a new Fallout game and completed that Fallout run in the same session, and I looked at my phone, I was like, wow, it's like 4am. Because like, I, I did a little that with Elden Ring this year, and I didn't suffer any physical repercussions of it, but maybe literally sitting there for six hours and losing time is a sign that your brain is like, no, please give me something other than this video game. You know, I think I had a bit of that because I finally caught up on this season of Critical Role, and that was like... 12 hours straight of me mm. just watching a single screen and not moving and then i was like oh i don't feel great maybe maybe we're just not looking after our bodies leah mm, i don't know about that i think uh, it has to be some sort of external force mm. perhaps god blighting us well, that is basically the story of everything everywhere all at once so i haven't don't spoil movies for me <laughs> that movie is great go see that movie also it's not in theaters anymore i was gonna go see it but it's gone Oh, you've been screwed over. Yeah, I was literally, like, the day I was going to go see it, I, I checked, I was like, oh, it's not out. It was out in, like, cinemas that were all the way in the city, and I was like, I can't spend an hour and a half going into the city. It is, like, the best movie this year. Everybody should go see it. So that brings us to March 2004. Yeah. I liked this month. Because we'll talk about the, the reasons I liked this month, but I think the main one is that they know they're getting on TV soon. And seem to be actively, consciously building out the parts of the product that were underdeveloped. And you can kind of feel that this month. I don't like the first half of this month, but the second mm. half I, I really liked. My big thing with, like, towards the end of this month that I really liked was it felt like we were getting all the stars on TV. Mm. Like, we had we had AJ, we had Ron Killings getting pushed, we had Raven back in there, Abyss, Sting, Jarrett. And, like, Jarrett was kind of, like, in a really good role, too, because he wasn't, like overused either. Because he was barely on the show for the back half of the month. <laughs> but I thought he was good whenever he was. They did that video package of him in Mexico and they had like the post video package promo that he did from a gym. And I thought he was awesome in that promo. Mm. Selling as like this vet who's been there, done that and like isn't going to let all these punks come up and get him. I thought that was a really good promo from him. And I really liked uh, him towards the end of the month too. The tag tournament I thought was really great. Yeah, I just, I liked that you can tell when TNA is good by how good the mid card is, because sometimes when TNA is really bad, the mid card is like some of the worst wrestling you'll ever experience. Not because the wrestling's bad, but because it's so dull. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, it's just a a drag through the whole thing. But like this one, with like, <laughs> it's funny. I was really gonna give them credit on the last month. I was like, man, they have trimmed the fat completely on this show. I was like, it's it's all stars doing star stuff. And then, like, it got around to the tag? Apollo and Siaki and Diamond and Young and all these people thrown in the same match. And, like, if you take Douglas and Shane out of that, because I actually think they've been really good this month, you'd have my problem with the show. Thank you for finally accepting that David Young is bad. Uh, he's a, I like his character, but, like, I just don't care about anything else. I, I'm, I'm sick of Siaki. I like Simon Diamond, but like he should be the bare minimum of these guys. Douglas and Shane have been great. Gilberti and Young, I'm just over. 
D'Lo, I'm over. Uh, Apollo, never want him on this show. I don't know why he's here. Like, why are we still trying the Apollo thing? But, yeah, it's just... If those if these guys were, like, picked and used better and some of them were gone, Tina would be firing on all cylinders right now and I would love it. Because I was like... I was looking at it, I was like, man, Sabu's doing mid-card stuff and it's great. Like, the mid-card's, like, actually been built up. The Monty Brown stuff is really cool at the moment. I liked the tag division in the tag tournament. I thought bringing the... Bringing back Slash and Sim was great. Um, bringing back Key and Daniels was really cool. Dallas is getting introduced. I even, you know what, Garrett? I like the Naturals. Well, they had good matches. See, they put them in there with good teams and ha- allowed them to have good matches. And suddenly you're like, hey, they're good wrestlers. They brought back Amazing Red, obviously. Frankie Kazarian got back too. And I just, it felt like they were, they're really like amping things up. And uh, of course, the biggest story of the month is, uh, by the end of this month, I'm like, damn, this Chris Harris elevation feels like it's actually achieved something. This dude feels great. Like he was cutting that like um that fiery like white meat baby face promo backstage with um when Storm had been like uh on suspension for the week and I was like damn yeah this guy feels like a guy too it feels like we have a, like a more defined main event scene in TNA for the first time because it feels like Abyss is there it feels like AJ's there it feels like Ravens there it feels like Ron Killings is there it feels like Chris Harris there and it feels like Jeff Jarrett's there. Yeah, I think that's kind of true of all the divisions. That's what I mean by, like, they're filling out the underdeveloped parts of the show. So they do have, as you said, a defined main event scene for the first time with multiple challengers. It's not just, you know, Disco and Raven this month. It's not just nobody for long periods. The the, the whole story of this month is, like, number one contenders wars. There's this whole battle to become number one contender between, as you mentioned, Styles Abyss, Raven, Harris, Killings, and uh, Jarrett being champion. And... The, the, through the whole month, those people are jockeying and battling to become number contenders, which makes the title feel important because there's a lot of people that want it. And then they bring back a lot of people in the exhibition. They bring back Kazarian. They bring back Amazing Red. They refocus it on like being in the main event spot. Obviously, Chris Saban gets injured, which is unfortunate this month. We really forgot to mention too is yeah the X Cup is in there this whole time too, which is a great like mid card story too. Mm, there's a bunch of X Cup stuff that run through all these shows, and and it's a consistent story through these shows. They don't just make it a thing that pops up once a month. They actually make it a thing that runs through the shows, and you get the tag division where they they I think consciously realize we've neglected the tag division for a while with the AJ Styles and Abyss stuff. Lex Luger was probably meant to win the tag titles this month, but he did. He wanted too much money, so they're like, all right, we need to rebuild that division as. Well, you have the, the teams you don't like, as you mentioned, but, you know, they, 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 they did bring back Slash and Sin for a while. They did bring back Triple X for a while. You know what it is, too? I, I can handle BG James and Conan if Ron Killings is getting pushed. Mm. When he's lumped in with them, it feels like a waste. But I, I don't mind them as, like, a mid-card tag act if you also have Ron Killings being pushed as a guy. Yeah. So they have fleshed out all of these divisions to be actual divisions. There's now depth in all three divisions this month. Whether that sustains, we'll see. But like, there there is a lot. Like when you have Sabu and Monty feuding, Monty returns. By the way, we'll talk about that. But when you have those two feuding, and that's like below the six people that the main event scene rotates around, that gives you depth. That's like, all oh, right, you still you have Styles Killings, Abyss, Raven, and Harris all feuding for double contendership. But then even below that, you have Monty and Sabu in in a heavyweight feud as well. So there's just depth everywhere. And I do think like that's a conscious thing. It's like we're getting on TV soon, which they are. They they know that at this stage. We need depth. We need like compelling divisions. It definitely feels like there has been an effort to round out the show more better. Mm. And I think that's a big sign. You and mentioning that, like the Monty Sabu feud, which doesn't feel like it's like a big thing, but it's actually quite a big deal for this company because normally, whenever there's a 
a, a feud between two heavyweight guys, it always just ends up becoming a part of a Jarrett thing or a part of a Russo thing. Like, it, they never actually get to be their own thing for very long. So having just a Monty angle, which started as, you know, part of the the New York connection stuff, but it's like, whatever, now he's kind of spread off into his own thing that's more of just a way to reintroduce him. I think it's that's a really cool touch. And just having something like that really shows that level of depth. So before we get into this talking about the shows proper, let's talk about the news. And the first news story we have to talk about is... <sighs> we have to talk about Ralph Feinstein on the show, Liam. Well, we knew it was going to happen eventually. Yep. So, in case you don't know the story, Rob Feinstein... You know what's crazy? Like, just before we jump in? Mm Mm-hmm. There's, like, a whole group of people who don't know this kind of stuff. Yeah, because this is 20 years ago now. Well, it's 18. But, like, it's the bones of 20 years ago now. You know? It's it's ancient history to a large number of wrestling fans. Which is... It's kind of mind-blowing that we're reaching that, that stage where it's, like, these things that were, like... The pamphlet, day one, hey, you want to get introduced into, like, the wrestling world beyond WWE? These are the crazy stories that you need to know. And I think we saw a bit of that with the the punk Teddy Hart stuff, and it's like, people didn't even know about that. So now we have this here, and it's like, wow, there's going to be people here who are hearing about the RF video thing for the first time. This feels like a thing that there probably should be an episode of Dark Side about, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. Because, it, yeah, it's the dissolution of company relationships about on everything as well. So it's like, there's a whole, there's layers on layers on layers for it. So you might be asking, well, this is a Ring of Honor story. How does it affect TNA? We'll get to that in a minute. But Rob Feinstein was the money behind ORF Video and by extension Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor in general. He owned Ring of Honor. He was part owner of Ring of Honor. On-screen character. <laughs> well, yes, that too. And he was caught in a sting by NBC10, which is a, a network affiliate, and perverted-justice.com. They came together to, to conduct a sting, which they, they regularly do, apparently. It's a thing that the PervertedJustice.com do. Well, wasn't Perverted Justice the one that was linked up with How to Catch a Predator too? I always remember Chris Hansen shouting them out. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think that was the they were linked up at one point. So they, they conducted a sting which Rob Feinstein thoroughly fell into, where the, he thought he was talking to a 14-year-old boy. There was, even like when he asked that 14-year-old his age, he's like, I'll pretend you said 18 and you just want to die inside. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the classic line. If you, were, if you were getting into pro wrestling in like any sort of forum age, you heard that line echoed, quoted over everything for years. Mm. So when that became public, when that uh, came to light, there was a, a huge scandal in Ring of Honor. I'd imagine through the years has covered this already, right? Uh, I haven't gotten to it, but yeah, I they will have. So I, I'd say if you want in-depth coverage of the Ring of Honor side of this, I'd say go listen to Through the Years with Trevor Dame. That's, that's probably the place to talk about the Ring of Honor side of this, but like... Everybody was furious. A bunch of people pulled out of Ring of Honor. Like, Bobby Heenan pulled out of bookings. Abyss pulled out of bookings. Loki pulled out of bookings. Loki was quite the, was the real famous one for it, too. Because, mm, like, he's the, the Ring of Honor star. You know, Abyss had only done a couple dates. Bobby Heenan was only coming in to do one show. But, like, Loki's the Ring of Honor guy. And he's like, no, I want nothing to do with this. Respectable. And, like, there was a big concern that they'd lose AJ, both because of TNA and both, obviously, because AJ is a very religious man. But... Some of the Ring of Honor people rallied around. The likes of Joe and Daniels and Punk were like, no, we'll we'll keep this in place. Rob is gone from Ring of Honor. And that was the big thing, whether or not Rob Feinstein was actually gone from Ring of Honor or pro wrestling gone from Ring of Honor. Ah, so so you ever wonder about the 
the similarities between uh, TNA and ROH, the, is this person actually gone from the company, or is it pro wrestling gone from the company? Yeah, Dave and the Observer goes through, like, the history of people being gone but not gone from pro wrestling, that there's scandals where they just lay low, and he doesn't even include the TNA one where Vince Russo fake worked for TNA for six months. Which was, like, you know, six months ago. Hmm. So they said Rob Feinstein was out. They said he has nothing to do with Ring of Honor anymore. They said that, you know, no money goes toward him at the end of the day. They they were trying to save the company, essentially. And this is where TNA come into it. Because TNA don't have a ton of wrestlers crossing over at Ring of Honor these days. They only have really a handful. There's Styles, there's Daniels, there's Red, who had just returned. Uh, Chris Saban was injured, so he was he was off the table. Punk was the other big guy, but he was off because of the Teddy Hart fight. And then, like, a couple of other people, like Abyss. So there's not, like, a huge crossover between the rosters right now in this moment of history. But TNA started pressuring AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels not to take any more future ROH dates. There were reports that, that said they used the reason they were afraid it would botch up their Fox Sports Net deal. So they were afraid, like, when people Google AJ Styles uh, when you're with Fox Sports or with any potential television partner when you google aj styles you'll see ring of honor you'll see ring of honor you'll see rob feinstein and a pedophilia scandal and all of a sudden people might not want to do business either with pro wrestling in general or tna in particular so it's it's not entirely unfounded that tna would be like listen we don't want anything to do with this i mean what can you expect yeah yeah it's not like a ring of honor and tna had the most loving relationship themselves at times you know they've got quite cold and frosty on each other just with booking stuff and you know the bidding war for raven's hair so i'm sure it's like they both were like we 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 don't mind working each other we can see the benefits of it but like if we're trying to move to that next level we don't need to be associated with a scandal like this Mm, and like even WWE was the same they suggested that jim Cornette stay away from ring of honor but yeah, the, as you mentioned, like TNA had the thing where when TNA signed a bunch of people to deals, they were like, you have to start using their TNA characters, which didn't actually happen. But it's one of those just stupid demands that probably just, you know, coldened relationships between the two companies again. Yeah, there's definitely um, bits and pieces like that. But that's what's going to happen when you have companies sort of both rising at the same time. So when Jeff Jarrett suggested they work there and, and ultimately like issued an ultimatum that he doesn't want any more TNA people working for Ring of Honor, yeah, Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky flew to Nashville to, to talk through some issues with TNA officials. TNA officials have had been asking wrestlers who worked for them as well as Ring of Honor to start turning down ROH bookings primarily because TNA feared Fox Sports and that wouldn't be pleased if TNA wrestlers were associated with ROH and the Rob Feinstein scandal. TNA officials wanted written proof that Feinstein was no longer associated with the company in any way so that if the issue was brought up by FSN they could provide evidence that they took steps to be sure Feinstein wasn't associated with Ring of Honor anymore. Sapolsky discussed the matter with Jeff Jarrett and Bob Ryder. All indicators are that an agreement was reached, we'll talk about that more next month, to allow wrestlers to continue working for both Ring of Honor and TNA and TNA feeling satisfied that ORH is no longer associated with Feinstein. So that that's the big uh, TNA tie-in here, that TNA were afraid that the, the Feinstein stuff would potentially cost them their TV deal. Not an unreasonable worry, I don't think. Uh, it's a nice little um, instance here of TNA seeming somewhat smart, where they're like, hey, can we get this in writing, please? Yes. <laughs> just so we have a little something on the back. Because, like, you know, they could have just brother-brother handshaked it, whatever. But, like, that seems some actual foresight from TNA there to be like, we want this written. 
so that if it does in fact come out that Rob Feinstein is still involved in some capacity in the Ring of Honor, which I believe he is, he still stayed, even at the time he was like, oh, I'm pulling out of ORF video as well, and that didn't end up being final, did it? No. So. He's still there now, I think. Yeah, I think he is. So TNA were not entirely unfounded in being like, give us written, demonstrable proof that we have recourse over. We've been to the courts, alright? We know how this works. We've been sued at least four times in our two years of existence already, I thank you very much. We know how to be on the other end, okay? There was the logo thing, there was the fraud thing, so... Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll talk more about the relationship between TNA and Ring of Honor probably next month, but it's, it's pretty icy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Management believes with the new schedule of three live and one pre-taped show per month, the companies can save money on production yet still do solid buy rates if the pre-taped America's X Cup matches create enough of a buzz. Although most wrestlers say they understand that the company is simply trying to save money, some are upset over missing out on the fourth payday. Contractually, TNA wrestlers are only guaranteed 26 dates per year, so management is well within their legal rights. They should go work for Ring... Ah. Oh. <laughs> they should go supplement their deals with other... Co- oh, no. <laughs> the funny thing here is that while, yes, they are cutting back on the number of shows they do per month early in the year, they dramatically ramp it up starting from June, where they record live the pay-per-view on Wednesdays and then tape Impact on Thursdays every week. So they go Don't from... <laughs> I know it. They go from taping three times a month to taping eight times a month all of a sudden. <sighs> Liam is so excited for that period from June to September where we will have four impacts and four pay-per-views to cover per episode of this show. TNHad.com <laughs> On the bright side, when we get through that, it's only four impacts per month. It actually becomes dramatically less. That is the dream. That's what Once we get to the the regular schedule, it'll, it'll be nice. Gotta earn it, though. Mm, you gotta suffer through ten hours of pay-per-views in a month. Jesus Christ. Vince Russo is slowly but surely working his way back into the booking crew. Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mantel are still in charge of the shows, but Russo has been submitting a number of ideas. Some wrestlers believe the last two episodes have had Russo's fingerprints all over them. Ooh. You mean the good episodes? Hmm. Even some wrestlers who were against the idea of Russo booking the company six months ago are now behind the idea of bringing him back if it means Jarrett and Mantel won't be writing the shows. Well, I think we've always said, to be fair to Russo, that... Good ideas, man, that just needs to be reined in. Ooh, and an alarm. Yeah. That's the, that is the we are praising Vince Russo alarm. <laughs> that is a staple of the podcast. It goes off every time we talk, uh, we talk pleasurably about one Vincent Russo. It's just like, you sure? You sure you want to talk positively about Vince Russo? Mm. But yeah, you know, that, we've said that from the start, right? It's like, we just, he needs someone to con- rein him in and control him. He can't be the head guy. Yeah, we've also, he's he's a great guy in the room, and he's great for filling out undercards with stories, but he is not the guy you want determining your overall direction, because he gives in to his worst impulses, and he hates pro wrestling. So he will derail everything you do if he is the guy, but he will contribute good ideas if he is a guy. Problem being, he is physically incapable as a human being of being a guy rather than the guy, and will slowly over time sabotage you. Yeah, he's on that grind set. Glenn Gilberti and Scott Tavor have been removed from the booking team in recent weeks. The main creative team members these days are Jeff Jarrett, Dutch Mattel, and Vince Russo. Bob Ryder and JB also sit in our meetings from time to time. Although some sources believe Russo is writing the shows again, they do not believe he has that much power. Jarrett has final say on all booking matters. 
and still seems to defer more to Mantel than Russo. Though apparently the structure is back to the Russo writes the show and then Jarrett and Mantel change it. So it is like Russo's base that Jarrett and Mantel are tweaking again. Again, I like I don't think that's necessarily bad. Mm. They're like bad idea, bad idea, good idea, bad idea, good, 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 bad. <laughs> this is what we're yeah. doing. Uh, I think also now being having the restriction of working towards television is going to be a benefit there too mm. because it's like there's a lot of things that we got away with on pay-per-view that we can't necessarily get away with doing TV. Yeah, and that that is like a direct edict from Fox Sports Net that they don't want they want any blood, they don't want any sex, they don't want any excessive violence, they don't want any swearing, they don't want any like risque stuff. What they're saying is we would like a wrestling show, please. Yeah, so they just go back to produce a professional wrestling show that's clean and easy to put on television without fearing we'll get kicked off TV. Hmm. Several wrestlers and even members of the office have been lashing out against CM Punk following his fight with Teddy Hart. Oh man, he's gone. <laughs> just let, let, my man, let my man live. He is backstage at one of the shows this month, so there, there's chances that he will come back, but then the fine scene stuff happens, which firmly puts the nail in the coffin of CM Punk's career in TNA. Of his career, he's done. This guy's over. One wrestler took offense at Punk supposedly telling other wrestlers at indie shows that he won the fight with Hart. If he kicked Teddy's ass so bad, why was Teddy dancing in the street while Punk was wiping blood off his face? Asked the wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, TNA wrestlers and office members are taking offense at Punk complaining to others that he wasn't given a chance to get over. Uh, Another quote from a wrestler, That's just stupid. Punk and Julio were given five or six wins in a row that didn't catch on because they didn't look like stars. So a lot of TNA wrestlers bitter at Punk. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but... Eh. I don't know. I think eh. this particular era of punk not being well-liked is not that, like, far oh, out. That, that's not the bit I'm, like, I'm humming and hawing about. I'm humming and hawing about the, like, they couldn't catch on because they're not stars thing. Well, you see, Liam, they had a bunch of five-minute television matches every week that they did yeah, that's win. that's how it works. And they did, somehow didn't get over. Hmm... I like this line that says, just because he's drug-free, that doesn't preclude him from going to the gym. (laughs) Wrestlers are such bitches. (laughs) Punk is again showing his arrogance and how clueless he is by going on the net and burying the company that gave him national exposure and a weekly paycheck. It shows how stupid he is to want to put all of his eggs in the basket of Ring of Honor. Didn't work out for him. What a dumbass. (laughs) Yeah, that, that ROH run, that didn't do nothing for him. I would love to know... Who told PW Torch this? Who's the wrestler that's Glenn the source Gilberti. here? Glenn <laughs> Gilberti. He probably is Disco. <laughs> it it reads like Disco. Mm. Can you imagine his voice saying literally that exact line? His whole gimmick is that he's drug free and doesn't do steroids. <laughs> his shoulders are going up every time he says it. Yeah, Disco's hard to do an impression of. It shows how stupid he is. Because <laughs> like, there's a little New York, but not enough New York to make it yeah. New York. And also like... He's kind of neurotic because he repeats a lot of stuff over and over again. He'd be like, he'd be like it, it, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> we have to work on our disco. Sabu was backstage at a recent Ring of Honor show this weekend. He was invited to the show by Teddy Hart to serve as backup in case Hart encountered more problems with CM Punk or his other Ring of Honor enemies. <laughs> It reminds me of that one, like, AEW segment that was advertised as Eddie Kingston addresses his enemies. Yeah, he's just like, hey, Sabu, you want to come to Ring of Honor so you can break up fights that I'm in again? Sabu, that's just been his role on TV and off it, apparently. Yeah, there's a fight between AJ and uh, Raven backstage that Sabu is just like, stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Sabu's uh, a great friend this month. Mm. RH officials had no idea Sabu was going to be at the show. They invited him to work a match, but he declined. Like, how much are you going to pay me? 
They should have. I'd imagine they would do it for like, yeah, man, you want to go there work the opening scramble? You know, we're not going to pay you. Yeah, you can just go there do it for exposure, you know, because you, you're here. You might, do you want to go wrestle? <laughs> He's like, no. You're Sabu. You need the exposure. No one knows who Sabu is. Yeah. More like Sabu, am I right? EC. What? I don't know. More like EC double who, am I right? Very good. CM Punk was backstage at March 24th, TNA show, and most wrestlers assume he was there to apologize for starting the recent fight with Teddy Hart. Though there was more wrestling-like bitchiness because he went there wearing a Zero One t-shirt, and they were like, why do you wear a different wrestling company shirt when he came here to apologize? God, wrestling's stupid, man. Yeah, they're a bunch of little whiny bitches. That's just how it works, I guess. But yeah, who cares what shirt he wears? (laughs) He should wear a TNA shirt. Okay, first of all, motherfuckers, half the people on your show are wearing shirts from other companies. Yeah. The franchise was wearing an ECW The Franchise shirt. Mm. It literally had ECW Wrestling on the tag. AJ Styles wore a fucking t-shirt, a different t-shirt's AJ Styles merch. Yeah. Fucking, didn't Sam just rock up with an ECW shirt at one point? Yeah, but he also was the first to rock the I Smacked It Raw I Want More TNA shirts, so he, he gets a pass. Yeah, I don't talk about that shit. You were so on board with that shirt until you recognized the pun, and now you hate that shirt. I'm on board with the shirt. I'm not on board with me not having that shirt. Mm. Although no announcement has been made and the story has not been verified, several TNA wrestlers are under the impression that the deal with Fox Sports Network is complete. The most common belief is that the show will air on Saturday nights, it ends up being Friday afternoons, and that the company will drop the Wednesday pay-per-views in favor of monthly Sunday night pay-per-view events. There is a lot of talk that the deal TNA is negotiating is essentially a 13-week trial period that the network could choose to opt out of if the ratings aren't decent. The first show could air sometime in June. It does. One source says some TNA officials are outright saying, once we get on Fox Sportsnet, when discussing future plans which make wrestlers believe that it is a matter of when, not if, some TNA office workers and wrestlers are hoping that at the FSN deal will lead to major changes in how the show is booked. The feeling is that because the show will be tracked by the Nielsen ratings, management will finally see which wrestlers are over and which are not. So unlike the WGN stuff, which was a done deal in December and did not happen, this FSN stuff is a done deal in March and does in fact happen. Well, I'm excited for it. I'm. I think uh, some structure and some definitely some structure from being on television is uh, sorely needed for this company. And realistically, this company has been booking these weekly pay per views as television for nearly two years now. So this is what they've been mm. preparing for the whole time. But now also, you know, I feel like a little less pressure too. Maybe after that 13 weeks, but uh, for now, whatever we'll uh, we have something. They will be on FSN starting from June. We'll talk about that closer to when we get to June. Mm-hmm. Everybody has been told to tone down the language because people from Fox Sportsnet have been watching. <laughs> BG James on the broadcast even cracked about the Tree Live Crew signature line, let's do the damn thing. They were told they can't be used, and he said, let's do the darn thing instead. Um, that's good to know, but that's how I'll be closing this show. Yeah, you can't say damn anymore, Liam. I, I'm going to say do the dang thing. Uh, Dave notes in the Wrestling Observer, uh, what is the name of FSN Signature Primetime Show, which is the best damn sports show, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if TNA does those ratings, I'm sure they can say damn. Yeah, you gotta earn it. You gotta bring Ron Simmons in, then you can say damn all you want. <laughs> what if he came and he's like, Don? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's the, oh, it's real, it's damn real. His TNA catchphrase is darn. <laughs> 
walks in on some dopey Shark Boy segment, like Shark Boy and Glenn Gilberti and New Jack are doing something backstage. Ron Simmons walks up. They do the the, the long delayed pause. He looks around. Darn! And he has the shirt that just says Don. Yeah, he has a darn shirt. Can we sell the Don shirt? <laughs> There's nothing stopping us from selling a darn shirt. Yeah! has finally found a thing we could actually sell. <laughs> darn! That's great. <laughs> oh, I wish Ron Simmons went to TNA now. <laughs> TNA has decided a new marketing campaign called Wrestling Reinvented, which was announced by TNA President Dixie Carter at the CTAM conference in Los Angeles. CTAM stands for Cable and Telecommunications Association for Marketing. Ooh. That was on March 10th. The contest of wrestling. No, 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 don't worry, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> oh, sorry, yes, this is a Dixie, of course. Please. The contest of wrestling has gotten out of hand. Yeah, can you please do the... I want you to do the in-betweens. She said. In an effort to shock the viewers, storylines in our industry that were once considered obscene and now unfortunately commonplace... I've gotten real southern with it. For a period of time now, total non-stop action have made a conscious shift in the content of our shows and will continue to do so. We have distinguished our product from our competitor and provided the pay-per-view buyer with a true alternative. Ooh. <laughs> wrestling re <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ah! Wrestling Reinvented is moving forward to the past? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wrestling Reinvented is moving forward to the past. Okay. Our programming will be clean, but also innovative, cutting edge, with the high-risk, high-flying athleticism TNA is known for. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter doesn't exist, but still follow her on Twitter. Mm. Oh, we don't follow her on Twitter. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> she has to earn it, goddammit. I'm doing that right now. Making up for the fact that we don't follow Dixie. What the hell? We are fake fans. We have not listened to our own follow me on Twitter advice. I'm following it right now. Part of this change is to make the TV deal with Fox Sportsnet, which is insisting on a clean product. At this point, there is no deal. What they are talking about is a tryout. Yeah, we got through all that. This would be similar to the two we tried. FSN gave UFC that didn't lead to a deal, even though ratings were strong. But TNA wanted to do it too. I remember... uh... Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but I, I remember hearing on something, I think it was maybe between the sheets, they were talking about how TNA was like reaching out to UFC to do some sort of cross-promoting thing, and UFC were like, no. Yeah, I think the, the Jared has a meeting with the UFC in April that we'll talk about. That'd be a cool crossover. We get that era of UFC guys crossing over. Instead of Bellator, you know, the guys that made the right decision. They're like weird, like paths of tna and ufc overlapping and overcrossing particularly in this era are it's very it's like it's because they both had the fsn tryout they both ended up on spike obviously like ken shamrock is first tna world champion tito ortiz we'll see tito we actually have a note about tito ortiz this month but we'll see tito ortiz Whoa. in 2005 but yeah those like crossover paths are, are quite interesting especially when you see ufc went on to become like a juggernaut I would like to send our congratulations to Dixie Carter and Serge, who are celebrating their happy anniversary. Oh, congratulations to them, particularly Serge, who performed some bangers. Yeah. Trifecta Entertainment, Texfield Tunes, voiceover artist. Trifecta Entertainment is Dixie's company. Ah, that's fun. So they'll start taping the shows on Thursday in Orlando for Impact. I'm going to retweet their happy anniversary. <laughs> they look like such a nice couple. I mean, a rich couple, but a nice couple. Like Dixie and Surge, we mentioned, like they were a couple all the way when we first talked about the Panda Takeover. That Surge was with Dixie in those meetings. So just part of the family. Mm. 
Jeff Jarrett talked to TNA wrestlers about the future of TNA prior to the March 17th show. He said there had been and would be even more rumors regarding the company's attempt to secure a cable television deal, but he added that he would not comment on those matters until the time is right. Not learning from past mistakes, Jeff. <laughs> He's not going to start talking about huge announcements on TV long before you have a huge announcement to make. Mm. Jarrett told the wrestlers that uh, some of them need to update their looks so that they appear as professional as possible. Jarrett said members from management would be meeting with the wrestlers individually to review their looks. At one point during the meeting, Raven spoke up and told the wrestlers that they need to dress the part if they want to be stars. And that led to some snickering behind Raven's back as some wrestlers are in the impression that the office told Raven to lose the jean shorts and t-shirt he had been wearing in favour of returning to the kilt he was wearing before that. Uh, but like that was literally him spicing it up. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, uh, of course, upsets you because he kept the music but didn't keep the look. I hate that music so much. It's terrible. It's good music. It's horrific. It's so bad. It just does not suit Raven whatsoever, and it makes me angry. You can get all the ECW stands yelling at you. Good. His themes. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard that song. ECW, <laughs> but clearly yeah. it's bad. Yeah, but, well, the real version of the song he used in these And still, I'm sure the real version of the song is bad. That's a good song. It does not work, especially because his TNA theme song is legitimately a banger. It's a top ten. He does get the old theme song back. I didn't realise how... I thought it was like a two-week thing. He's now had it for like a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it hits, I go, oh, Gareth, can I hate this? I am. I'm like, go back to the other one. I like both. I like the other one more, to be <laughs> to clarify, but I like both. Johnny Fairplay hasn't been booked in TNA since telling management he was not happy with his push the night they sat him and his real-life girlfriend from Star Magazine in the crowd. It doesn't sound like there is much tension between the two sides as management is conceding the fact that they did not book Fairplay very well from the very beginning. So they're like, yeah, we booked like shit, but also we don't really care. The first week was good. Yeah, because he got powerbombed. Mm. I suppose, like I said at the time, was maybe he gave that away too early. Yeah, you had this sniveling nerd whose entire thing is that he's annoying, but also he got killed immediately, so you don't even get the payoff. Mm. The latest plan is to sit Fairplay at home for a bit and then bring him back with a big push. Fairplay has told wrestlers that his TNA contract gives him creative control over his character, which feels like bullshit, <laughs> which he felt he gave him the right to voice his frustration to management. I don't know, I feel like even if you don't have creative control, you have the right to voice your frustrations. Yeah, but also if you're Johnny Fairplay who's generally disliked there's a, another couple of notes this month about how wrestlers are just they're done with fair play like they gave him the benefit of the doubt for a while but like now there's nothing there and they don't want him around anymore oh that's a shame because like they, everyone was like so nice about him the first week but he, well, you turned on johnny fair play so you can't say a word did i turn on johnny fair play yeah you were like i i'm sick of this guy i hate him he's bad that was your take on him at the end of last month that doesn't sound like me that sounds like you're talking about cm punk Johnny Fairplay and Raven were guests at the Playboy match in Los Angeles at Hugh Hefner's birthday on April 3rd. It's in April, but Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler from WWE were also on hand. I, would, I want to be a part of that crew. I want to be the Johnny Fairplay Raven crew. Going to the Playboy mansion, hanging out with Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler? Sure. Do you think they did hang out or there was like wrestling wars? Nah, I don't think it was wrestling wars. I just don't, I think maybe Stacey was like, hey, WCW. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there was much interaction, but I don't think it was brand loyalty that stopped it. I like the way you're like, Stacy was like, WCW, but not Tori. I mean, I don't, I honestly, I don't even know that Tori was there. I, WCW is not my thing. Just sat down with Raven sharing memories about Eric Bischoff at the Playboy Mansion with Hugh Hefner. Yeah. <laughs> and Hugh Hefner's also sharing stories about Eric Bischoff. 
Well, Johnny Fairplay does that thing where he can't stop moving and he creepily walks around them. He's just touching them on the head. <laughs> it's like a miss in the NWA title. Johnny Fairplay strikes me as a man who would touch the scalps of women. <laughs> yeah. He has, that, he has the vibe of a scalp toucher. Nah, Johnny Fairplay was cool. He, re- he retweeted us. <laughs> but, uh... This error of Johnny Fairplay. But that's the character, you know? I'm just getting worked by the character. I'm sure the real-life guy is a nice fella. I don't want to burn that Johnny Fairplay bridge, okay? <laughs> the wrestlers were given their first looks at the new TNA trading cards at the pay-per-view where representatives from the company produced the cards as backstage showing the wrestlers the first series of cards. So, that's funny because, you know, like, Saban and Dart and stuff were all like, wow, that's cool. And then they tried to show Raven. Raven's like, get the shit out of my face. This is like my 17th trading card. I do not care. <laughs> I think I'd be a... If I had cards made about me, I'd be a guy who got, got a card. I'd keep the card around. Why not? Yeah. I'd, I'd totally be a mark for myself. Yeah. Have you have, have like a Matt Hardy shrine to yourself? There's some people that are probably like too cool for that. They're like, no, I, I don't glorify myself. I don't keep my action But also figures. some people like are probably legitimately actually are that cool. <laughs> mm. Like it's not even like a bit of them being that cool. They just are that cool. It's like, I don't need these material things glorifying me. Whereas I'd be like, yes, give me all of the things. Garrett, mm-hmm. in any number of his homes and or ranches, all right, does Stone Cold Steve Austin have a title belt mounted? Yes. I'll follow this up. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I actually can't follow this one up because I know The Rock does because he did, he did the, the things from his house and he had the belts up in the background. To this day, do you think The Rock still has a belt up in one of his places? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think there's very few people who are more about glorifying themselves in Eagle than Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> And also, you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, if you're the richest famous person in the world, yeah, go ahead. You deserve it. Who is the most unlikely guy to have a title belt mounted on their wall? In terms of personality or in terms of just, like, they barely want a belt? Personality, but, like, uh, like someone who, like, has the accolades, but you wouldn't expect it. Does Brock have a belt mounted? Brock's a tough one. See, I think Brock maybe has a UFC title, but not a WWE title. He has, like, the head of a deer, but on top of the antlers is his title belt. That's how he's yeah, chosen to display it. Cool, uh, I'm trying to... Hmm. Does, do you think John Moxley has a title belt mounted anywhere in his house? Oh, well, he only... he's. I don't think he'd care enough about the WWE title to mount it anymore. I don't think he has a belt. I don't know. He's a wrestling nerd as well, though. Yeah, but I just I, I I I don't get the vibe that he has a belt up. He maybe has a belt, but I don't think he has it up. Maybe he has it in like his home gym. Because mm. like Moxley would be the guy that I would get the vibe that he's not like a mark for the belt, but also he's a wrestling nerd, so he thinks it's cool. Yeah. Does Roman? Yeah, yeah. Does Roman have all of them? Does he have the WWE, <laughs> the two universals? Hasn't he won a tag title? I, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about the big boy belts here. I think he'd even have a tag title belt up. Mm. If if you had a WWE career that was like, fly by night, but you won a tag belt, you're getting that tag belt on the wall, right? <laughs> damn right. <laughs> yeah, damn right. Okay. Jericho, definitely. He has every belt in every room. Because the vast majority of wrestlers are either huge nerds or have humongous egos for themselves. That's like 94% of them. I'm not knocking that at all. No. Because I'd be the same fucking way. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. If you have a belt in your house, have a belt in your house. But my, my point being, there's very few people who I'd be like, they don't. Garrett, 
does Hiroshi Tanahashi have an IWGP title on his wall? Yes, he fucking sure does. Damn right. There is few, again, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Few human beings are more about glorifying themselves than Hiroshi Tanahashi. I hope he has one of every generation that he's won. If You know what? If anyone deserves the fucking actual belt after they retired it, give it to fucking Tanahashi. Oh. Sources say UFC fighter Tito Ortiz isn't interested in working a full-time WWE schedule, but may be intrigued by the thought of working a TNA schedule, if the price is right. Ortiz is a big wrestling fan who has attended several WWE shows over the years. That's one keep in mind for May 2005. (laughs) I thought you were going to say for like 2013 or whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, Aces and Eights. This is the August 1 morning all the way back in March 2004. This is the March... 17th <laughs> the Tito Ortiz is coming eventually multiple times I want to read a story <clears throat> go on a sign which read I came to watch wrestling not rapping clowns or survivor losers was confiscated they were told no more negative signs I wonder was it just the rapping clowns they had a problem with or the Japanese wrestling clowns too oh god that's that's wasted money <laughs> what is not mixing the ICP and Kikataro together. Yeah, that's a dream stable right there. That would have been a great segment. You could have had Mike Tanay be the intermediary. <laughs> he does love both. If this was like 2005, TNA, and we had gotten to like wacky backstage segments or whatever, we would have had a backstage segment where like ICP and Ebisan and Kikataro are... Uh, not Ebisan, sorry, Ebisan is Kikataro. Um, were doing a debate <laughs> backstage or something. Quishin Buchanan was the other clown. Doesn't he have a more recognizable name? I have no idea. I do not know the lore of Quishin Bokamon. Well, because, like, he's a very, like, no, like, from that era of, like, if you know Kikitaru, you know that he's wrestled him a lot. But I think he has a more recognizable name. Give me a second to find it. Keep talking. I believe these two also worked New Japan this month. So they, they were around. They were, of course, of course, Osaka Pro guys. Just showing up in TNA for some reason. I might have just known him as Carmen, to be honest. <laughs> this is not Kikitaro's only TNA appearance. He will show back up in 2019 for the Eli Drake Turkey Bowl Turkey Trot, whatever that was called. Sure. So you can look forward to him wrestling Glenn Gilberti in 2019. Kikitaro has worked everywhere. Yeah. Fair play to that guy. Didn't he go on, like, excursion and then COVID hit? Yeah. Oh, no, he was in the US for a while. Yeah. He did PWG. But then COVID hit. Yes, and then he got kind of stuck at some point. Mm. Yeah, those are the clowns. People in the crowd don't want their clowns, Liam. I mean, people in the crowd are wrong. TNA don't want their signs. As they are one to do. <laughs> TNA is opening its wrestling school on March 29th with Terry Taylor and Scott Demore as head trainers. They've been talking about this since the promotion opened. It costs 300 to try out for school. If you pass the tryout, the cost is four grand for six months of training, which Dave notes is more expensive than any wrestling school he's ever heard of. <laughs> At least you can do it, pay it all at once and don't have to worry about like a weekly thing. Mm. So, which would be 52 days total training. You think you get six months and you're like ready to go out and work? Well, the average wrestling school is three, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's, it depends. Well, it depends how, how often you go to wrestling training, but... I suppose, yeah. Six months of going every day, you're probably ready to... Like, realistically, once you learn how to do like the basics safely, you learn how to do everything else in the fly-in wrestling for the most part, right? Um... I do not know the inner workings, but I'd guess so. I guess it's an element of like, you know, you learn how to protect yourself and protect others and then you you go out there and you just you, you do it. Yeah, and you improve and you add things over time and you get better. Because like wrestling is, there's few more on the job training jobs than pro wrestling. Like ask any pro wrestler and they will tell you the way they got good is by wrestling people good. 
no other way yeah. you can't train to be good in pro wrestling you just have to learn it you have to feel it you have to understand it and then you get good at it but you also need to have that base well yeah you have to be able to do things without hurting people and yourself that's a, a major component hmm Ah, now we have to talk about the shows. Yeah, so that takes us to broad topics for the month. We'll start with the big one, which is the kind of number one contenders wars. Oh, this is going to be all over the fucking place and encompass about five different stories, but let's go. Yeah, so if you remember, Jeff Jarrett and Chris Harris was announced for the March 17th show and did in fact happen. But the whole thing this month is that everybody wants to be number one contender. So you have Styles, who has already somewhat of a rightful claim from that tag match he and Eric Watts won, but he never got his title match. You have Abyss, who's feuding with AJ, and he wants to be number one contender. You have Ron Killings, who's reinserted into like the heavyweight title picture as a pushed entity, which is refreshing to see. You have Raven, of course, who is the kind of second biggest star in the company, basically, behind Jared constantly asking for his title shot. I have some problems with this Raven push. <laughs> well, he turns heel. That's probably the biggest one. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Why is this dude a, a whiny heel? And then you have Chris Harris, who's the new featured act who's being pushed. So the the whole month is built around those five men jockeying for a title shot. Harris does get his title shot, but the title shot, that title shot is more to build to something further down the line. And then there's Jeff Jarrett, of course, who's champion. So this entire month is those people feuding over being number You've one. You've got Vince Russo. <laughs> but Vince Russo was the all-knowing sage genius who's pulling the strings and making everyone great. Oh, there's one real good Vince Russo segment that I cannot wait to talk about. I don't even know which one, so I'm looking forward to getting to it. So, NWA TNA pay-per-view number 84, March 3rd, 2004. The idea of this show was that Chris Harris was booked in the opener and the main event, with Vince Russo once again trying to sharpen the iron that is Chris Harris to prepare him for Jeff Jarrett on March 17th. Yeah, so we get the start of actually a story I really enjoyed here. Chris Harris, as we noted from like the last uh, last show, he faced all the Naturals, Natural 1, Natural 2, then the Naturals, and he got the final win when James Storm interfered with that hell of a super kick. But now we get this story unraveling of like, you're still relying on Storm here. Like, you're facing odds, but you're still relying on Storm to get the win here. And it's got, and that, then we get that, uh, that uh, story of like Vince Russo losing, losing confidence in this guy, because like, you're beating my challenges, but you're... You're not doing it by yourself. Mm. And I like that story. It's kind of interesting. At the same time, I think Harris is somewhat vindicated in that he was booked in a two-on-one handicap match. Or, like, we'll talk about the, the Shane Douglas thing in the main event. But there was interference from other people. So he's just evening the odds. But that was the point, though. Is that he could overcome these by learning through his other experiences. But he kept relying on that crutch. So when he got down to the, the main tax of it all. He was still relying on that crutch and it backfired once it was taken away from him. But if you're Vince Russo and you're like, I want to prepare you to face Jeff Jarrett, why don't you just ban everybody from ringside? (laughs) I'm not saying it's a great strategy, (laughs) but I'm just saying that is the strategy that was had. Listen, I get that from the mind of Vince Russo, it's the most arse backwards way of trying to prepare somebody for all the outside interference and bullshit Jeff Jarrett brings instead of just banning the outside interference and bullshit. Yes, that being said, I thought it was a good story. So yes, this show opened with Chris Harris against Kevin Northcutt. Kevin Northcutt, now in wrestling gear. Don't like it. It's so weird. And to add, like, offense to it all, not wearing a red shirt. He's no longer the red shirt security. It's gone. I don't like it. He's kept the music. You know who he reminded me of? I Okay, I, I'm, I'm excited that you're going to tell me this, because I was looking at this man's body and I was like, he reminds me of someone, but I cannot fucking put my fucking finger on it. I thought he looked like TNA's test. 
That might have been who I was thinking of. There's someone else on this month who looks a lot like a test too. So that's true. That was always Lantoid's thing at the, uh, for a while that he is TNA's test. But well, he has a big he has a big fucking Christian cross on it on his tights. So mm. yeah, Kevin North. He somehow looks less jacked. He looked huge and jacked when he wore that tight red shirt, and now that he's taking the yeah. red shirt off, he somehow looks less jacked. I do not understand it. He, sh- he should have worn like an MVP singlet. Yeah, so uh, Harris will wrestle in this match. Storm is at ringside, but Russo advised him not to get involved because he wants Harris to do this by himself. So Northcutt missed an elbow. Harris followed with a catatonic to beat Kevin Northcutt. Mike Tanay and Thomas announced during the match that Harris will be wrestling in the main event, but Harris didn't know that yet. Mm-hmm. So it was a pre-tape later in the show where Harris found out he was like mad that he was wrestling and Shane Douglas and Jeff Jarrett arrived. Jarrett is like, I'm the Cal Ripken of wrestling. I think that's a baseball reference. He's going to beat Harris on March 17th. Jarrett is going to find somebody to wrestle because Russo is trying to keep him out of it. He's, Russo's big thing is that he wants Jarrett not wrestling so he'll be off his game and Jarrett sees through Russo on his ploys. Raven's already complaining at this point too. He wants to be involved in the title. He's like, I've gone through everything. I've done it all. What about me? What about Raven? And then uh, the Naturals attack him. Mm. Yeah, Raven, because there's so many interesting stories. But after a Frankie Kazarian and Jerry Lynn match. This might be a rare month where going show by show is the better <laughs> option here. But I don't want to cover the Frankie stuff. because that it's, But yeah, Frankie returns, wins a match. Raven DDTs and wanders out. And he's like, where is my title shot? Give me my title shot. I love Frankie, but maybe the worst promo in TNA history. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the X Division segment. Ugh, Frankie. Chris Harris then faces Shane Douglas in the main event. The idea is Shane Douglas was not prepared. He was, he came there not to wrestle, so he's in his street clothes. Uh, yeah, which is weird because like Shane Douglas is meant to be like Jared's guy at this point, and only for this show. Yeah, and well, because like, he kind of built up to it when like they were doing the whole like who's going to be the new DOA and and him and. Douglas would chummy, but it felt like this was the beginning of, like, Jarrett getting involved with the new franchise. And then it just never went anywhere after this. Maybe because he lost. He's like, fuck you, I don't want to be part of I don't want to be friends anymore. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah, main event Chris Harris defeated Shane Douglas. Don Harris was guest referee because of a whole thing with the AJ's Abyss match, which... <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, because of the whole thing with them both having the same last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy, goddammit. Yeah, see, Russo is stuck in the deck. Mm. So Harris beat Douglas. Shane Douglas, perfect for a role like this. As like the cowering heel who has enough of a name for Harris to credibly beat, but is enough of a threat to make Harris look good. Like franchise with everybody, everybody that wants to wrestle should watch Shane Douglas matches to learn how to present yourself as a heel, particularly for facial expressions. Best in the business. Mm -hmm. He's so good. He's great. Great at everything. I think even more so than Raven at this point. A dude who has made every segment work. Mm. The dude fucking threw up in the ring and still managed to make that segment rule. So fucking, what more do you want from this guy? Yeah, there's a moment in this match where Harris fired up or where Shane Douglas was slapping him and Harris just did like full baby face fire. And it's like, oh, yes. Again, you see why everybody was like, this dude's going to be a star. 100%. Earlier in that show, AJ Styles faced Abyss in a False Count Anywhere match. I did not think it was possible, Liam, for me to get sick of AJ Styles and Abyss wrestling, but 2004 TNA has somehow managed to pull it off. Well, Garrett, let me take you back to the past. Mm-hmm. Not the future, well, that is the past, that is the wrestling initiative, I don't know, whatever Dixie said. Um, I also thought I wasn't going to get sick of AJ Styles versus Jerry Lynn, but that managed to make it there too. <laughs> Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, they have good chemistry, so the matches aren't bad, which is like the same thing as the Jerry Lynn stuff, but it's just like, okay, can we have these guys wrestle other people now? Hopefully this is a wrap on their stuff for a while. I think the biggest problem is none of their matches have finishes. <laughs> but that's kind of the point, I guess. They're trying to keep these guys at the same level. But, you know, if no one wins, no one gets over. Mm, they're just wrestling every month with various stipulations. They had the tables match last month. They have a false count anywhere match here. They have a ladder match later in the month. And either they are riddled with interference and nonsense, or they just don't have finishes full stop. I was very confused by this finish. <laughs> I was like, I had to rewind it like three times, and I'm still not sure what ended it. <laughs> no, they just decided the match was over. They just brawled out to the crowd. They brawled around the arena. Then John Harris just came out and tried to break the match up. It's just the match is over now. We've decided it's enough. They were fighting too hard, Liam, in this Falls Count Anywhere match. They got too violent. Because they did have ref bumps and stuff. Because the story here is they took out two referees. The third referee came out. They took him out too. So that they mm. they couldn't have a referee for... Ran out of refs? <laughs> like, we only have three. They ran out of refs for the Chris Harris and Shane Douglas match, so Don Harris had to ref that for some reason. I don't know why that was the story. I hope that was the actual reason. That they did actually run out of refs? <laughs> like, that was the in that was the in reason that all the refs died in the AJ Abyss match and they just sent Don Harris to be the main... <laughs> to do the refing in the main event. That is the in-canon thing. That is the story. Like, they killed... Oh, is it? I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, they killed all the referees in this AJ and Abyss match so that they would have to send Don Harris out as guest referee. But then Don Harris didn't really do anything in that match to be guest referee. I, I like that. That's fun. Yeah, I don't know. They had another instance of horrific table luck in this match. Yeah. But uh, AJ worked with it, though. Yeah, where AJ placed Abyss on a table and the table just broke... <laughs> Wow, and this also isn't the last time this happens this month. No, it happens twice where somebody places somebody at a table and the table just breaks. But as you said, AJ did make it work where he then placed the Abyss on the top half of the table and elbow dropped him and the referee threw it. The ref had to take a real dive for that mm. one. I like that re- that AJ didn't seem phased. He was just like, all right, I'll make work of this. Yeah, because he's a pro. And they always talk. I like. I love how Don West and Mike Tanay always put AJ over as like, he's so adaptable. You know, when things go wrong for him, he can change his game plan. And they, they incorporate it into a, a reoccurring narrative as a character that this dude can always change things up if things don't go his way. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, too, because he's such a versatile in-ring performer. Mm. So, Abyss and AJ still feuding. I forgot to mention, the angle after the Chris Harrison-Shane Douglas match, Vince Russo walks out. He's super mad that James Storm helped Chris Harris defeat Shane Douglas. Uh, he's upset. He says Shane Douglas... Doesn't think he's ready. Yeah, he's like, James Storm shouldn't be interfering. You need to do this. You shouldn't be. You're not ready. I want to postpone the match against Jared. Harris is like, nope, sign the contract. Match is happening. And Russo's like, well, I wash my hands with whatever happens. Yeah, I I actually kind of like that. I like, he's like, I don't think you're ready, but I'll, I'm not going to take the match from you. Mm. If you want to take it, you've signed it. You can do the match, but I don't think you're ready. And I've let it be known. <sighs> but then he never wins. Yeah, well, you know. Life moves on. You can't do this story and not have him win. I know, but like, I'm sure the attention eventually was that he was going to get the win. But then he didn't. Yeah, well, that's that's just how life works sometimes. And you asked the question, why didn't he? We're going to talk about that a lot in April. Oh, I actually have no clue as to why he doesn't. Just, why? 
why did you not why did you do the story where you're like he's not ready he's not ready he's not ready and even russo like after the Jarrett match we'll talk about that we'll go to the march 17th show where russo comes to the ring mike today introduces him russo talks about again how harris he doesn't think he's necessarily ready but he's getting his match he's done everything he can to prepare him for it and then raven interrupts raven wants a title shot he offers raven and sabu a shot in the tag title tournament raven's like no i don't want that i'm not a tag team wrestler that's not my destiny Sabu, he can fight for himself. I, he doesn't need me to get over. I want, I'm want. i a singles wrestler. I want the world title match. So then he offers Raven a spot in a gauntlet match that night. Raven is like, again, no, I don't want that. I want Jeff Jarrett for the NWA world title. Russo's like, yeah, how about we add you to this AJ and Abyss match? Again, Raven, nope. Raven demands that Russo take Chris Harris out of the main event and put Raven into the main event. And Russo says, no. Raven's like, I see how it is. This is WCW all over again. I like, see, like, this is a nice touch here because for the most part, I don't think Russo is a good babyface authority figure because he doesn't ever seem like a babyface. But at least here in this scenario, he was like, I don't agree with the circumstance, but I'm not fucking changing it, okay? Yeah. The guy's getting his shot. And also, like, Raven's like, I'm being politicked out of my title shot, even though he is literally trying to politic somebody out of his title shot. And that he has no title shot. He has not earned one in any way. Yeah, he has literally no claim to being number one contender. AJ, who later on the show does a promo being like, you know what, Chris Harris, he's ready. AJ has a claim to being number one contender. He won number one contendership in a match with Eric Watts. Maybe he just wants to take the easy pickings of Chris Harris. Mm. So Raven tells Russo that he will have his attention before the night is out. Hmm... Later in that show, we have a number one contender's gauntlet in which Ron Killings defeats D'Lo Brown, Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger, Glenn uh, Gilberti. Excuse me, sir. There was a great abyss fondling a title <laughs> moment before that. <laughs> Don't try and skip the Goldilocks segment. <sighs> so Abyss is backstage with Scott Hudson and Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett's doing his promo about the main event. You love this segment. Don't <laughs> sigh heavily about this segment. You were raving about it. When we did the watch long, which you can now go listen to at tnh.com. I'm more thinking about the Goldilocks segment later in the month. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see no Goldilocks segment later in the oh, month. Oh, my apologies. But yeah, Jeff Jarrett's doing the promo where he's like, Chris Harris isn't ready. I'm this guy who's been champion forever. I- I've defended the belt everywhere. I can go around the world. I am the NWA champion. This guy is just a nobody. And Abyss is just standing behind him. And he's just fondling the NWA title. He's just rubbing it. And Jarrett never notices. It's not like a thing that Jarrett's like, get away from my belt. Abyss is just like, ooh, shiny. I think he thinks that Abyss is like hyping him yeah. up. Like he's like, he's like tapping him on the shoulder. He's like, yeah, that's my guy Abyss. He's got my back. And I thought that was a really nice touch to be like, Abyss is on Jarrett's side. But also, he really likes that shiny belt there. The push of Abyss actually worked quite well. He feels like a top guy. I feel like that's the case for everybody this month. Where where Killings has been, I think, decently rehabbed. I think this has done a good job of elevating Harris. Styles has obviously already been a main eventer. And Abyss has done a good job of elevating him too. It makes a lot of sense that it's like... I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's interesting that it's worked out this way. That a guy who's exclusively been put in matches where they were draws and non-finishes has somehow gotten over. Yeah! I guess that's what happens when you put them in the ring with AJ Styles. Yeah, you can actually get people over by association. You just put them in the ring with good wrestlers having good matches and people will care about them at least a little more than they used to. And you put them in circumstances that accentuate their positives too. Mm. Where it's like Abyss throwing AJ Styles around in plunder matches is going to make him look pretty good. And when he does run-ins and he just kills guys. I always find it interesting though, like you say Abyss has thrown AJ around. 
like Abyss bumps so much oh, for people that are smaller than them. That's the story of Abyss's career, though. That guy bumps for it like a motherfucker. Like, there is moments in these AJ matches where he is bumping more than AJ Styles. Do you think that could be a detriment, though? Well, the, there's the classic work like a big man thing where you, he shouldn't be bumping like this, especially for somebody like AJ. He bumps like it for wrong killings as well next week. He probably shouldn't be, but you admire a big man who can bump as... And like, Abyss bumping, he makes a spectacle of it. I love Abyss's bumps. They look so cool. Very mankind. Mm. Well, yeah, Mick Foley was his hero. And people people always, you know, compared him to mankind kind of derogatorily. They were like, oh, you know, he's only just a knockoff mankind, which is totally oh, unfair. you know, I'm only going to compare to one of the best wrestlers ever. <laughs> so as mentioned, Ron Killings won a number one contenders gauntlet match. Or while it wasn't a number one contenders match explicitly, it was a rankings match. Or it was him, D'Lo Brown, Simon mm. Diamond, Johnny Swinger, Gungle Birdie, Kid Cash, Sonny Siaki, David Young, and Michael Shane. Raven came out halfway through, DDT Siaki to throw him out of the match. That The whole idea here is he's going after Russo's guys. So Siaki was Russo's guy, so he took him out. We got a bunch of stuff in this. This match was crazy. I don't think it was particularly good, <laughs> but it was crazy. So Kid Cash kind of exploded with Glengle Birdie and David Young. He's fed up with their bullshit and they started fighting in this match. Then it came down to Sh- uh, Michael Shane and Ron Killings with the final two. Franchise came out, tried to throw a Shane to... Uh, throw a Shane to chain, yes. Throw a Shane to chain. <laughs> Goddamn people named Shane. The word chain involved... Too many people. But um, tried to throw a chain to Shane. Shane threw it back. He refused to cheat. <laughs> I said it right that time. I know, but your accent was, tried to throw a chain to chain. Uh, I became distinctly Irish. You see, whenever I have to rhyme, I become Irish. It's just the, the way of the world. It's, it's in your nature. You can't fight it. It's fine. But Shane threw it back. Then he immediately lost. He got gourd busted by Ron Killings. Then Franchise stared down with uh, Michael Shane. They were very mad. I'm into this stuff. I love the franchise and Shane Douglas stuff. Shane Douglas? Yes, Michael Shane. Too many Shanes! (laughs) Again, maybe Vince is right. Maybe you shouldn't have people with the same names on the same shows. I'm just going to call him Matt Bentley. (laughs) That's the reason, if you look in the notes, I always call him franchise. Every time, it's just franchise. (laughs) Makes sense. I was wondering that. Good thing Francine isn't still around, otherwise we'd, we'd still be having problems. It's my easy shorthand to be like, right, it's franchise and it's Shane. There you go. I am less likely to be confused could have just gone with douglas i guess but then you still have his name shane douglas it's still harder sure i suppose yeah if you had douglas and shane that might be a little <laughs> it's confusing still annoying. or shane and douglas or his franchise and shane at least you know you have two distinct i did stupid what if you did michael and douglas <laughs> then you're confused with the the actor you're like you think i'm talking about michael douglas <laughs> <laughs> can we can we just talk about michael douglas i do like ant-man what's michael douglas doing lately Talk about the filmography of Michael Douglas. Yeah, I like Michael Douglas. He's a good, charismatic actor. A crotchety fella. Mm. Let's go to his IMDb. I, I, I enjoy The American President. It's basically a West Wing prequel. What's he doing now? What's coming out now? Probably in another Ant-Man movie. He, he's, he is, in fact, in the next Ant-Man movie. There you go. He's just doing a lot of TV at the moment. Oh, that's good. I like TV. A lot of TV and then the Ant-Man stuff. Mm. How much do you think he made from Endgame? <laughs> How much is he in Endgame? Very little. He probably still got a good paycheck for it. Yeah, right? Like, my man's still making bank on that. I would love to know how much each actor got paid for Infinity Ward and uh, Endgame. Because, mm. like, some of those cameos are, like, maybe a two-day shoot. Yeah. That would be very interesting. 
And especially, like, you have, like, name act- actors there, too. Because, like, Tom Holland, Benedict Cumberbatch, like, they're just for, like, the final stretch, basically. Mm. And, you know, they're not, they're not, they're probably getting full paychecks still. Yeah. They're like, even Michael Douglas, big name, just pops up randomly in the movie. That movie is insane. Mm. That movie is the most insane movie that will ever exist, in my opinion. Just from the sheer amount of, like, A-list actors that just appear for, like, three seconds. <laughs> just stroll into frame. There'll be, there will never be another movie like that. There'll never be even another Marvel movie like that. That movie is a capsulation of a time period. When you're like, Gwyneth Paltrow is in this movie for like four minutes. <laughs> it's fucking insane. Uh, but yes, the new franchise are exploding. We'll talk about that more in a second. We'll give them their own moment. Sure. Intersecting stories. Abyss faces AJ Styles in a ladder match. There's a final definitive winner, at least. So AJ's about to win when Raven shows up, throws him off a ladder, and he dies. Yeah, he dies. He literally dies. He, they show the like slow-motion replay in the <laughs> opening video of the next week, where you can see he basically lands headfirst on the ladder, and it looks like just hideous. Yeah. It looks so. It looks like we we witnessed the murder. He is up. They do literally go backstage where he's confronting Raven immediately after. So I assume he's fine, <laughs> and he somehow just made it look like the the most disgusting ladder bump you've ever seen. He kind of does the Linderman cell from the latest the Glade show though, where he like he fights for a second and then he just drops like a bag. <laughs> I did enjoy that where he's like he, he does his dive, he fist pumps the air, and then he just strolls over and just collapses in a heap. Well, he doesn't dive, but he basically doesn't get caught at all and just lands all on his back. Mm. And he, he's like yeah, and then just falls over. Go watch Linderman versus Idiot. That match rules. That match does rule. Go watch Glade. Mm. Yeah, AJ dead. Yeah, this was a good match. Sunset flip off a ladder to Abyss, which just, uh, two chairs. Abyss is like, ow. Abyss is used to it. It's fine. I, I don't think any of these AJ Abyss matches are must watch, but I think they're all enjoyable and they all build to one that is must watch in 2005. Also, like, you know, this is good mid-card stuff and it's not Glenn Gilberti versus Violent J or something. So fine, let's take it, you know? Yeah, when AJ and Abyss come out for a ladder match, you're like, you know, at least I'm going to get something good on this wrestling show instead of some nonsense. Mm. So again, the story here is that AJ is Vince Russo's guy, even though AJ hates Vince Russo right now, but Raven doesn't care about that, costing the match. Mm-hmm. And then, main event for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, Chris Harris challenges Jeff Jarrett. It was okay. I think, like, the crowd were into Harris, which is a plus. They bit on some near falls they probably shouldn't have bitten on. Like, they bit more on an elbow drop near fall than the actual catatonic near fall in this match, which is very strange. I'm pretty sure that the crowd sloshed at that point, right? Mm. They got booze at, <laughs> at the asylum? Maybe? I don't know. I've, I, you can see the confectionery stand from a large distance. That's a very bright sign, but I don't know what's at the confectionery stand. We'll have to go back to those early shows where they did the walk and brawls next to it, and we can we can determine if there's alcohol on the premises. Like now that I think about like those walk and brawls, you generally see people with like water and soft drinks as opposed to beer. But I don't know. Hmm. I'll keep an eye out next time. Storm tries to interfere at ringside, but throws Jarrett back in the ring. Abyss and Killings are standing in the stands watching on because both have a claim to being number one contender right now. Killings through the gauntlet match, Abyss through the ladder match. Harris spears the ref in just a terrible ref bump. I don't understand what happened. Like, he throws Harris into the corner. And, like, it's not even the thing where Jarrett moves and hits the referee. Like, Harris is in the corner. Jarrett's straight in front of him. The referee is to his right. And for some reason, he just flies out of the corner and spears the referee. Uh, Fighting on instinct, clearly. It's still stupid. 
I mean, yeah, it makes him look silly. It's almost like Garrett. He's not ready. Oh, Vince Russo narratives again. First, you're like, oh, I miss mm-hmm. Vinnie Wu on these shows. I wish Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. <laughs> and now, now you want Chris Harris to lose. It's dead, disgusting behavior. Well, I don't want him to lose. I just know he does. Yeah, Jared hits Harris with the belt. Harris kicks out. Jared kicks out of the catatonic. Then Storm comes in, hits a super kick. But Raven pulls the referee out of the ring, stopping Harris from winning again. All that commotion allows Jeff Jarrett to hit Chris Harris with a guitar and retain the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So, this match is probably a match that is hurt by a knowledge of the company. Mm -hmm. If I was watching this completely blind and thought that Chris Harris had a a single chance, I might have been a bit more into it because I do like the Jarrett style of match where it's like everything going on, the babyface trying to overcome it all. I like that, but... um, yeah, this one was just kind of not it for me. And I think that's where it mostly comes from. But I also think they kind of gave it away by having the babyface authority figure doubt the babyface winning because it wouldn't make a lot of sense for the babyface authority figure to be proven wrong in that case because that would make him look foolish, which is not what you do generally, especially if the person who is that figure is riding the show. They tend not to make themselves look foolish on the camera, so, uh... They tend to book themselves to be right. Yeah, so, you know, even if I didn't know the outcome of this, I don't know if I would have been too invested in a, a change of title picture here, especially with all these other contenders. But I don't mind this program as, like, a little three-week, four-week thing. Because, you know, it's better than Jared just not doing anything. Like, I don't know... Surely the idea that Russo says he's not ready is for Harris to prove he is, right? Yes, but um, that could have also been a long-term plan that just got nixed. But like, even after the match, Russo comes out, he's like, Harris proved tonight that he was ready, but everything screwed him. So next time, Jeff Jarrett will defend the belt, it will be in a steel cage to negate all the outside interference. So like, the the, the moral we're supposed to take from this match is that Chris Harris is ready. Like, that he's going to beat him in the cage, yeah. Even though... The, his big near fall that he should have won on was through outside interference from a James Storm super kick, which proven him right. So why is Shorty Ru- Russo should be like, I was right. Yeah, that's because he's a nice guy now. The old Vince Russo would have been like, nah, 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 nah. What the old Vince Russo of like two weeks ago, who was like, you're not ready. Yep. Yeah, he's a good guy now. <laughs> Just nice guy, Vinny Rue, supporting his pal Chris Harris. Yep. So Jarrett will defend the belt in a cage in April and the rest of this month is building toward crowding a number one contender for that cage match. Mm-hmm. Next week's show, there is a video package on Jarrett and Harris, which is frankly demented. I don't remember this. I think I skipped it. <laughs> They're like all the video packages on this show are, are increasingly produced like horror movies. And I, it's so there's, a, there's a real fun one at the end of one of the shows too, where it's like Road to the Steel Cage. Yeah, and they have graphics and everything. Mm. Graphics of roads. It's a New Japan <laughs> tour. Road to Steel Cage. But yeah, like like there's this Harris and Jarrett video where they're just playing like horror movie music where it's like That's a teenage staple though. It is. It's so weird. I don't understand it as an aesthetic choice. Maybe because it's awesome. Have you thought about that? Yeah, so this is where you got that Jeff Jarrett promo where he's like, I'm going to Mexico, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm the best. I like that promo. It made him feel like a star. Mm. And again, 
that's the Jeff Jarrett I would like to see. The guy who is the actual wily veteran who has like the experience to overcome people. Like we've talked about this mm-hmm. multiple times. The complete lack of confidence Jeff Jarrett seems to have in his own ability is always so frustrating to me because I think he's good enough to be a world champion. I think he's good enough to go in there with Chris Harris or AJ Styles or Ron Killings or Abyss or Raven and have good pro wrestling main events with the win-win without the just parade of bullshit you get with ref bumps interference and, and guitar shots. And, like, you can still do that sometimes. Yeah, like, this is a month where it made sense because there's, like, 25 contenders. But when you do it every title defense, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, you can still do it now and again. You can still do like a ref bump guitar shot of Runnin's match. And that's fine. But he's good enough to have good, real, memorable world title matches. He is. He's a good mm-hmm. pro wrestler. And I just think it's a lack of faith in his own ability or an over like indulgence in a particularly bad style of wrestling that really will increasingly tank this run as we go further and further into it, particularly for the, the reign of terror that we start into in June. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I assume he loses the belt in the steel cage. Okay, so you've skipped over the segment I want to talk about, so I'm going to rewind you real quick. Which, which is your big segment? Uh, there's a backstage segment where Hudson is interviewing AJ Styles. Oh, yeah, yeah. And AJ is pissed that's being on the sidelines. Then Russo comes in, and this is my favorite segment, because Russo's like... Hey man, let's just put it behind <laughs> us. And they're just like, no? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> I was wrestling the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, and you strolled out drunk, and you want to be like, oh, you know, it's fine. <laughs> and like, this is the part where it's like, Russo cannot be a babyface because he's like, hey man, just trust me again. <laughs> And AJ's like, no, of course I will not trust you again. <laughs> then you lost your mind, you started fighting Jeff Jarrett, then you disappeared, then I lost my title. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, the last time you talked to me was October, you fuck. When you were a drunken, unhinged fool. And my very part, like, is in, when they eventually get to the four-way match on the next show, uh, Russo's on commentary and he's like, AJ's the only one who doesn't trust me. <laughs> <laughs> of course he doesn't, you oaf. You went to motels together and did flips into the pool. In fact... He knows you better than anyone. If, if you were a good guy, he should trust you more than anybody. But you're not, so he doesn't. <laughs> Just, that statement made me laugh. Uh, and even, like, AJ's like, well, fine, give me a match against Raven. It's like, oh, I can't do that. It's like, put me in the number contenders match. Oh, no, I can't do that. It's like, well, no, I don't trust you then. <laughs> yeah, okay, then. I'll extend an olive branch. Give me the thing I want. Mm. No. <laughs> So because Killings won the gauntlet and Abyss won the ladder match, they had two claims to being number one contender. So Abyss faced Ron Killings on the show, which ended in a no contest. So I, the first half of this match, I thought rocked. Mm. I really liked it. I liked the brawling in the crowd. I thought it was real fun. But then it kind of just broke down into nothing towards the end. Well, at least, you know, it's a no contest in service of setting something up. So I'll give them something of a pass there. It's not just a no contest to get out of, like, pinning either guy. Oh, you mean like the next week? Well, yes. Killings hit a front suplex, but Raven pulled the referee out. Abyss hit the black hole slam, but then Raven runs in, hits Abyss with a chair for a DQ. AJ shows up, beats the heck out of Raven, but then got dropped to the black hole slam as well. Wrestler security broke everybody up. Then Truth grabbed the microphone and demanded that all four be put in a number one contenders match next week. I thought Truth cutting a promo here was nice too. I also liked seeing Raven and Abyss kind of make a a little alliance here because it's something you saw up in the four-way. And... 
AJ and Raven feuding feels a little hot. Every time they interact, the crowd goes nuts. Oh, they're like the number two and number three in the company. Yeah, they are stars. Does help. Mm-hmm. So Rudy Charles interrupts the Mike Tanay and Don West rundown to announce that the main event of the last show of the month will be Abyss, Styles, Raven and Killings in a four-way with Sting as the special enforcer. Because, Liam, Sting returned on this show. It's Sting. Uh, yeah, he has a movie to promote, so he's back. Yeah, he just shows up. He's the Chris Rock of TNA, just here promoting movies. I like that when he's like, I made a, I came here for part of my career. He's like, I'm not talking about TNA. <laughs> the olden days with Jerry. Yeah. So yeah, Mike today does a big intro. He's talking about uh, this man has done all these things. He faced Ric Flair. He won the NWA title. He won the WWE title. He's this big star. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, you're a big dork. Did you know who he was talking about, Liam? Did you work out who Mike today was talking about? I, I had no clue. So yeah, he introduces Sting. Sting is here to shoot a movie, actually, not plug a movie. He's he's shooting a movie, just like Chris Rock. He's shooting Sting the movie. George King, a Christian music industry who was married to Sting's longtime manager, Kathy King, decided to make a movie based on Sting's life. It was later released as Sting the Moment of Truth. This is a movie that came out? Oh yeah, it actually came out. It's a real thing. We should probably watch it for Patreon if we can find it. This is our number two movie review. Yeah, every movie that props up in the TNA timeline, we will, we will have to watch for Patreon. That's the rule. No, don't say that because some sponsors later on in the run. I don't... <laughs> we'll have to watch X-Men 3 that sponsors TNA in 2006. Ah! We have to listen to the Fozzie album. No, oh, no. No, I'm a staunch Fozzie supporter, so I can't actually talk about that. Not as big as Andrew Rich, but you know. Why are you taking shots at Andrew and his Fozzie love? Because <laughs> he, he owned me thoroughly that one time. Mm. Sting will be playing himself in the later years, and actor Danny Falgatter will be playing himself. Playing young Sting, former Tennessee Titans wide receiver Chris Sanders will play the part of the referee. The movie is expected to be distributed through the Christian community. The referee. Yes, the singular referee. TNA only has three, apparently. Sting only has one. The way I'm reading this, it seems like old Sting wrestles young Sting in this movie. <laughs> no, there's just flashbacks to Sting's early career, and then you see like older Sting who is... So the story is about a wrestler caught up in a world of drugs, drinking, and womanizing, who is a superstar in front of the curtain, but killing himself behind it. Then he turns around due to discovering Jesus Christ. So this is like the first 75% of the wrestler. Yeah, except with more Jesus. Yay. Instead of the ending where he does the dive off the top rope and they fade the black, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> they fade the black and it's Jesus. There is an alternate ending, isn't there? I don't forget what the alternate ending of the wrestler is. I just remember that he dies. <laughs> Big 2008 spoilers. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. There was a match taped between Sting and Jeff Jarrett for the movie. It was about five minutes long. Sting did all his big moves in one refused to break the Scorpion Deathlock after the match. They also filmed stuff in the ring with Chris Harrison Abyss for the movie. How about this young Sting wrestling Abyss? <laughs> this actor dude just Abyss throwing him around. <laughs> and also just like the idea of, yes, when I was a young man in the business, I wrestled this man, Abyss. <laughs> Abyss is an omnipresent force, Liam. He is a demon. He is everywhere. He is everything. So, last show of the month, NWTNA paper number 88, March 31st. Mike Tanay introduces America's Most Wanted. Do come out. Excuse me, you skipped a Goldie segment? <laughs> uh, have I? <laughs> when Hudson was interviewing 3LK. <laughs> and, like, and they're like, oh man, you have a biz next. And they're like, oh yeah, biz can't handle the truth. And Goldie's like, oh, are you ready for a biz? And Rod's like, yeah, of course I'm ready. And then, and then, <laughs> then Goldie was like, what did she say? <laughs> I don't remember exactly what she said, but she was getting in Ron's face. And she, like, listen, there are degrees of Goldie unhinged. I'm finding this. She said home dog. <laughs> she said home dog. You can't take Goldie anywhere. <laughs> I actually don't think we even mentioned it. When In the Abyss fondling the title promo, Goldie did walk up and just stare at Abyss and they had a moment. Mm. A, a callback to the initial Abyss run. Mm. He likes staring at people. He likes gold things. It's true. He likes gold title belts and he likes Goldie Locks. Oh, it's kind of sweet. Yeah, the week before Goldie cut off with 3LK and just the, the most, again, Goldie Locks is unhinged at the best of times. Goldie Locks now is just like a whole new level of unhinged. She literally joker laughs. Mm. <laughs> she like actually joker laughs. And she's doing a thing where anybody that infers she's crazy, she goes nuts. But also she doesn't even wait until they call her crazy. She's like, I'm not crazy. 
<laughs> she rules. She just walks into scenes shouting about how she's not crazy. So yeah, I really struggle with, you know, the Joker-Harley Quinn dynamic here because, like, in one hand, it's so clearly she is the Joker, mm-hmm. but she has the Eric Watts PTSD that would make her a Harley Quinn. Yeah. And Watts is gone. There's no Watts this month. Yeah, he's off doing his, like, solo series that, like, makes him good now. <laughs> and, and like, you know, people realize that his character was, like, actually a victim. So <laughs> he's becoming, like, over and getting a push as one of the mainline DC characters. <laughs> that's what that's what uh, Eric Watts is doing. Uh, so Mike today introduces AMW, they come out. I, I was going to say, they feel like a main event act for the first time. This is the time when AMW were making their entrance here, and Mike today introduced them, and they came out together. That was the moment it was like, main eventers AMW. They are the top guys in this company. And then a pretty sweet segment, actually. In typical fashion, because they have become the top guys in this company, Jeff Jarrett has to beat them up, so he hits James Storm with a guitar and starts brawling with Chris Harris. It kind of rolls though, doesn't it? Yeah. So they brawl with Harris. Harris hits a catatonic. Harris is about to hit Jarrett with a guitar, but Raven comes out, interrupts him. Then Raven it drops Harris with the Raven effect. Styles comes out, takes out Raven and Jarrett, but Jarrett makes a comeback to hit Harris with a guitar, all to build toward our main event. Yeah, um, I'm into it. Uh, it's, I think. Do you think if you're James Storm, you're lying on the ground, you're like, is this where I'm going to be forever, huh? While Chris is in there having the segments with the stars, and I'm just laying here. Mm, just the number two to Harris's number one. Yeah. Uh, we also got um, more footage of Jarrett in Triple Eight. They hated him. Yeah. They they were not big fans of Jeff Jarrett. Uh, I'm very proud of myself that I managed to work out that it was Latin Lover that he pinned. Uh, well, they did say it in the video package, but sure. I wasn't listening. So yeah, it was in front of 18,000 people on a AAA show. So it looked very major league. They had the footage. They showed Jarrett and they, they mentioned how he had to be escorted out by the police. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems pretty uh, Kenneth Omegary, hmm? <laughs> the influence of TNA still <laughs> reaching to this day. Uh, and then we have to talk about another woman showing up on this show, Liam. I don't... Uh, so Scott Hudson mm-hmm. is looking for Abyss. He goes to his cage and he's like, Hey, I want comments from Abyss. Then a mysterious black-haired lady with a British accent cuts him off and says Abyss is preparing hmm. for his match and you should leave him alone. Yeah. And Scott Hudson's like, do I know you? And she's like, do you know me? She's like, do you know me, Scott? <laughs> she's doing the Oscar Isaac New Moon Knight accent. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, do, do you know me, Scott? Uh, Where's my mum? <laughs> Please don't talk to me, Mom. So, if you did not notice, <laughs> just moving on from your Moon Knight nonsense. It's just good good bits. If you did not notice, this woman is Goldilocks. <laughs> You're fucking lying. Goldilocks is now playing a character. More than she has already been playing a character. Nah, Nope. Don't believe it. You just refuse to acknowledge Goldilocks lore? Uh, this is not Goldilocks. I don't, I don't know who this Could is. Could be any woman. Oh no, it's this Harleen Quinzel. <laughs> Oh, oh my god not only is Goldilocks the Joker she's also Harley Quinn she's both <laughs> that's actually sick okay so first thing that's on this list I, I, I searched up Harley Quinn to you know verify the name people also ask is Harley Quinn Joker's daughter sure fucking I hope not mm, that would be a more distinctly unpleasant angle to that story mm. everyone go watch the TV show it's great I hear yeah, everyone puts it over I really should watch it it's very, very, very good. It has a good comic run, too. So that brings us to our main event. 
Raven defeats AJ Styles, Ron Killings, and Abyss to advance to face Chris Harris next week, where the winner of that match will advance to the steel cage to face Jeff Jarrett. So I don't particularly like the match, but I like seeing four stars on the screen, so three and a half, baby. I like the match. I thought this match ruled. I thought kind of a lot of nothing happened. I thought they went out there and had a cool match. Styles and Killings did stereo dives. Killings stepped up off a chair. You're describing stuff from literally the last minute. Yeah, because the best. that's what we call good pacing, Liam. Yes. But Killing stepped up off a chair into a double rotation black hole slam, and it was the best. You're an easy man to please. Yes, if you do double rotation black hole slams out of nowhere, I will be very easily pleased. Fair enough. So Vince Russo came out, he joined commentary, he was holding a towel. He actually had the towel last week, so the towel isn't just a one-week introduction for the sake of this story. It's a two-week introduction. This guy's great at long-term storytelling. He is. Sound the alarm, baby. Sting was guest enforcer, but he was not an unbiased guest enforcer, because he's just running wild on people <laughs> willy-nilly. Beating fuckers up, it ruled. He was just like, if anybody crosses him at all in the match, he's just gonna fucking beat their ass. And the part about it was, like, Russo being like, I told him not to do this, but then Mike and, um... Don were going like, yeah, get him, whoa. And then Vince is like, oh, fuck, yeah, you know what, you're right, get him. It's Sting. You can't tell Sting not to kick ass. Yeah, that's, that's against the rules. So Killings had hit an axe on a chair on Styles, but Abyss pulled the referee out. Styles hit Raven with the clash, but then Jarrett ran out. Sting and Russo cut off Jarrett. <laughs> so the, the, the finish, Styles was, like, distracted with Raven in the ring. Then Jarrett took the towel off of Russo's shoulder threw it into the ring. Styles thought it was Russo throwing in the towel on his behalf. He was distracted and mad, which allowed Raven to hit the Raven effect to pick up the win. So, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. It just feels like like we're, we're starting to build up to the Raven-Jarrett stuff again. Yeah. But Raven's like an annoying heel. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that's going to go. The direction they go with this, I think, makes very little sense. But we won't talk about that until April. Well, I, I can't talk about it. I literally don't know it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm just, it, it feels like we're going to get to the place we want to get to, but not in the way we wanted to get there. Yeah, and just as a general rule, I don't like that they've turned Raven. Yeah, but he was the biggest star in the company. And, like, everything he did every month was good. And, like, not that he's bad this month. He's still probably one of the better parts of the show. But still, he was, like, the top babyface. And you have Jared as the top yeah. heel. Why is that not the match? <laughs> Especially if you're, like, going to pull the trigger, you know? Mm. You want those guys in those positions for that. But, I don't know. We're doing something weird and different, I guess. And at least the thing they're doing is in service of getting Chris Harris over. So it's not like they're doing nothing instead of doing Raven. Yeah. So that is our, our number one contender warfare. It's, it's a, a lot of people jockeying to become number one contender. We're making good time on this, by the way. For like an insane like bunch of weeks. Typically, every time I think that, every time I look at like the clock and think, you know what, we're, we're doing pretty well. We end up going like four hours. So <laughs> I'm like, you know what, we're, we're, we're getting through topics, we're, we're discussing them in depth, we're, we're making time, and then we just... Yeah, but then, like, we'll we'll be like, hey, man, what was the last VHS you watched? And that'll be 20 minutes. I bought a VHS recently. It was a Hercules uh, direct-to-video VHS we were doing for another podcast. Do you have a VHS player? I think so. I haven't actually played it yet. I do think that I have a VHS player stuck in a drawer somewhere here. What was your, like, go-to, I need to record this thing with my VHS player? There used to be, like, the big, big movie, which was every Saturday evening on Irish TV, there'd be, like, a, a like two- to three-year-old popular movie aimed at kids. 
And we, mm. we used to record that. And then obviously the, the stuff you want to keep, you ended up like Hocus Pocus was a permanent tape in our household, as you can imagine. Nintendo, come for me. I don't give a fuck. I got like 17 seasons of Pokemon that I fucking <laughs> ripped straight off of Cartoon Network and you can't do shit about it. Naturally recorded a lot of wrestling through the years. Yes, uh, I think I have the first show I ever watched on a tape somewhere. Mm. And, and like people these days don't appreciate that when you had like three wrestling tapes, you watch those shows over and over again. Oh, it, 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 see, it, it, I was a little bit out of tapes by that point. I was probably on DVDs, but it was the same fucking thing. It was like I had, I had, you know what it was. For some reason, at some point, and because we got into the point of, like, trading DVDs a lot, too, at school, um, but before then, I remember I had a four-pack of, like, Armageddons from different years, mm. when they would do, like, the pay-per-view four-packs, so, <laughs> which is very confusing, I guess, because, like, you got to remember, too, Australia, it's, I'm not watching pay-per-views, man, <laughs> it's, like, 50 bucks, you have to ring up and do it, I'm never watching pay-per-views, so I, I barely get TV, because uh, all of the, the re-TV stuff is at my grandparents' house, so I only get it when I'm there. So I'm watching the same DVDs over and over again. And I was like, I was basically watching 2007 and 2008 pay-per-views. And then also randomly like an 03, 04, 05, 06 Armageddon. The rotation. And uh, I, I'll tell you right now, I watched the hell out of those shows. I remember I got like, I remember the first, do you remember like, uh, see, you're, you're an old man, so you won't have the same joy as I had. But mm. the first time I got like a, a three-pack DVD from a WWE show. Oh. Or, or like a biography thing. That was a big moment for me. Because all my friends had the, had them and I was like, man, these this are so cool. And I got I got the like the 2006 DX run. Oh no, you couldn't have got the like good a, DVD? I had like a three, the, the three pack DVD. Yeah. And I watched the hell out of that. And then, um, <laughs> then I traded it for an RVD two pack DVD. That's a very good trade. Yeah, I was very happy with that trade. Yeah, because the two tapes I had as a kid that I would watch the dead was St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the pay-per-view, and WCW Sold Out 2000. <laughs> those two tapes. Mm. I had those two tapes. I've seen those shows dozens of times because we had two tapes. Kids these days, Liam, they have the entirety of wrestling history at their fingertips, and we had to watch the, the same, same shows over and over again. But honestly, I wouldn't trade it because I loved those shows, and I loved rewatching them over and over and over again. I have seen... Cyber Sunday 2007 a billion times. Mm. I've seen the Unforgiven show where they did all the championship scrambles <laughs> a million times. And honestly, a big reason I probably became a big TNA guy was getting like the best of the X Division Volume 2. Yeah, 100%. And watching that DVD probably 15 times. And falling in love with those wrestlers and that generation of wrestlers. Speaking of the X Division, let's take us to the X Division this month. We'll start with the X Cup stuff. So we had the second America's X Cup where Team AAA defended against Team Canada. And I don't know, it was it was fine. It was a worse version of the first one, but still pretty alright. Yeah, so Team AAA again is Mr. Aguila, Abismo Negro, Juventud Guerrero, and Hector Garza. Team Canada this time is Teddy Hart, P.D. Williams, Johnny Devine, and noted Canadian again, Jack Evans. He's the best Canadian. Famous Vancouver British Columbian. Jack Evans. Hmm. Uh, they gave a justification where it's like, I think they admitted that he wasn't Canadian, but he was like, he is in Canada. So they're like, yeah, he counts. And they were, talked about how he was engaged to Teddy Hart's wa- sister. So being engaged to Teddy Hart's wife would be a very different relationship going on here. Yeah, but hey, do what you want to do. I did like how Mike Tanay acknowledged that Jack Evans was trained by Brian Alvarez. Yeah, that was a fun little note. And like, even like made note of like, like the... 
He's like the figure four guy. Yeah, the figure four newsletter writer and wrestler, Brian Alvarez. Uh, Pacific Northwest, baby. Mm. So same format as last time. Four singles matches worth one point, two tag team matches worth two points, and then an eight-man elimination tag team match worth two points per elimination if tied at the end, the captains face off in a decider the week after. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say about any of these matches. I find the timeline of Teddy Hart's injury quite funny. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they did as well, to be fair. That's true. Because if you remember, he had to pull out of the last show of February. So the, it was meant to be Teddy Hart against Juventus Guerrero against Jerry Lynn. It ended up being Petey Williams instead because Teddy Hart hurt himself in the match he had with Mr. Aguila. So that injury was acknowledged on television at the end of February. But then he comes out here and injures his knee in this match with Mr. Aguila and becomes a show running story. Even though we already saw him injured on TV. He clearly has a, a, a bothersome knee and it just re-injured. All right. So yeah, the Teddy Hart, Mr. Agwell was your opening match. Uh, Scott DeMore interfered multiple times at ringside and then he was kicked out. I thought they were meant to do an angle where he was like banned from ringside because he wasn't ringside any of the other matches other than the main event where he was on commentary. I I, I think they forgot to put in like a pre-tape <laughs> where, where someone banned him from ringside. Yeah. Because like Mike and Don were like, we've got to do something about this. We've got to stop Scott DeMore interfering. That's not in the spirit of the X Cup. And then he wasn't ringside for the rest of the matches. So I assume they did do something about it, but they forgot to connect those dots. Especially since they did that segment where he's like, fires up Devine. He's like, get out there. Like, mm. <laughs> that would make, it's like, why don't you get out there with him? <laughs> the fuck? So yeah, Teddy Hart won with a shooting star album drop. Canada went 1-0 up. Juventud Guerrero defeated Petey Williams with a 9-1-1 Hoobie driver. Canada won 1. I don't have anything to say about that match. They did acknowledge for the first time here that Chris Saban and Petey Williams are from the same training class, which is a story we'll call back to multiple times. That is a a long-term thing there. I was thinking about this while watching that. Who else is like, other than tag team partners who like broke into the business at the same time together in the same training class, which is kind of cheating. Who else is, like, famously in the same training class? Like, the actual class? Well, well you can chuck Shelly in that class too, right? But were they in that exact same, like, Border City Wrestling class? I think so. As opposed to, like, they're, they're all BCW guys, but were they, like, literally in the same training class? Well, uh, you know, I'm sure there was crossover. There was, like, you know, they were, I think they were already wrestlers beforehand, right? But, like, Brian Danielson and Brian Kendrick? I mean, if you want to, like, really get into, like, the minutia of it all, it's like... Tanahashi, Shibata, Goto. Again, were they all the same breaking in exact same time Young Lion class? I think, yeah. Well, then they count, yes. Uh, Well, I think Tanahashi's class was actually Tanahashi, um, oh, the big dude whose name I forgot. Nakanishi. No. um, And Yoshihashi. Yoshitatsu. I got got my Yoshis mixed up. Mm. Um, you thought it was the dinosaur instead of the wrestler. Yeah, it has. I, I'm sure there's like some Japanese class that beats it. Yeah, so let us know who do you think is the most famous like training class coming up together that became like great wrestlers and stars. Yeah, because I, I know that Shibata and Tanahashi were in together, but I think Shibata was like the like the lead young lion at that point. Mm. Like, because him Nakamura and uh, I, mean, I said I said Goda before I met Nakamura. Um, they were all in there together, but I think yeah, like um. I think they didn't actually start together. Yeah, I think Nakamura was the leader, and Shibata and Tanahashi were together. Actually, mm. something like that. And then Goto was like a year later. It's been a while since I read the Tanahashi biography, but they were all like young lions together at a point. They were just at different levels of young lion. 
So Hubie BP won one. Then we go backstage. Scott DeMore is firing up his team because Teddy Hart's injured. But Teddy Hart is like, no, I, I insist on wrestling. Then that has to be a rib, right? Uh, probably, yeah. We're going to do a knee injury and have Teddy Hart insist that he wants to wrestle because of his knee injury. Especially after our last week where he pulled out of a match because of his knee injury. It's like, no, you will insist that you will continue wrestling. A knee tonight. injury that was like dubious by a lot of people too mm, people are skeptical about the degree to which teddy hart is hurt at any given time because while he did sell his knee he also did all his shit without flaw so yeah that was definitely a, a bit of a, a rib mm. so johnny divine then went out and beat a beast monegro to float over rana 2-1 i like johnny divine in this i like a beast monegro who's someone who i've actually never seen and i was like oh this guy kind of rocks yeah i think all the team mexico guys are really good yeah. And, like, the weird thing is, I think all the Team Canada guys are really good, but also the crowd doesn't know or care about them at the stage. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing, right? They haven't had much of a chance to actually get build these guys up. The AAA guys actually had a couple, like, matches to get them noticed. And, like, the, the one guy the crowd is into and the one guy who's consistently, like, better in these matches is Teddy, who has already been here from the Super X Cup last time. And then Jack gets over with his, his you know, beating Jack Evans. Yeah, so Hector Garza faces Jack Evans. Garza hits a low blow. He claims it was the inner thigh. The referee was looking right at it. He's like, no, I kicked him in the inner thigh. <laughs> I thought this was, I like this match, though. This was fun. Just to see Jack Evans, you know? Yeah, Garza's a good heel bully. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, Garza hit a powerbomb moonsault. 2-2. Harrison Storm did a promo for next week. Uh, then a feature for the, the next thing. With some motion graphics. They're, the motion graphics are out of control in this company. They're terrible, but also the best. <laughs> No, there's a lot going on. They're honestly getting worse somehow, but also still great. <laughs> they are definitely getting worse. I, I, I look forward to see if there's any of a, a production improvement once they get to television. Mm. Hoovy and Abyss Negro defeated Jack Evans and Teddy Hart to bring AAA to 4-2. And I thought the best match on the show. I agree, best match on the show. Mostly because it was just Jack Evans and Teddy Hart doing flips. Yeah. Uh, those two are a good team. I also like the finish here with Hoovy submitting Teddy, which I thought was a nice touch because in the in the like big high flying tournament, well, there was a, a submission on a bad leg. Mm. And also, it's a callback to them facing off in the Super X Cup. Mm-hmm. And I thought that like the, the wrestling on the show was best when Hoovy and Teddy were in the ring together. Yeah. Also, in this match, Jack Evans did a Phoenix 630. That's what he does, man. I don't think he meant to, but he did. That's half of his high flying is it looks like he doesn't mean it, and then he just does the crazy shit you'll ever see. It does look like he just throws himself, and however it goes, it goes. That's the benefits of being a Gumby man. So, PD Williams, Johnny Devine, beat Hector Garza, and Mr. Aguila to go 4-4, taking us into our final match. Juventud Guerrero, Mr. Aguila, Hector Garza, and Abismo Negro defeated Teddy Hart, Jack Evans, PD Williams, and Johnny Devine. Scott Demore was on commentary. Hoovy uh, pinned Evans with a top row. Hoovy driver, Abismo, or Hart pinned Abismo with a spiral tap. Hoovy was then pinned with a Tower of Doom with his feet, and then Johnny Devine put his feet in the ropes. Mr. Aguila immediately pinned Devine. Hart pinned Garza after a shooting star over PD's knee. Garza pinned Hart with a standing moonsault, even though, like, Petey absolutely 100% obviously broke it up. <laughs> he got there. Yeah, he held the pin, it's fine. Yeah, it's that Jerry Lynn, AJ Styles, Loki finish from 2002, where it's like they broke it up, but he didn't break it up, so it doesn't count. Yeah, this is a Bret Hart masturbatory tribute match. Mm, the, the the three matches that, that have done that finish in the history of wrestling. Yeah, it's fun. But then Garza made the comeback, beat Petey to win the... America's X Cup retained the America's X Cup, actually. Gaza is so cool. Yeah, and he's new captain. Yeah, because of reasons. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that now. Why not? So there, there's a new member of Team AAA because Hoovy is out. The new member is Heavy Metal. 
Juventud Guerrero was pulled from Team AAA due to a fight that took place in Mexico between him and Abismo Negro. Negro, who is still part of team, uh, the AAA team TNA, dominated the locker room fight and left Hoovy with a black eye and a pair of broken nose. Hoovy hasn't been the most popular person in AAA lately, as sources say he acts like he's better than the company's wrestlers. In fact, because he was eliminated early in this match, he started shooting his mouth off. <laughs> He's like, I'm the star, people won't care if I'm eliminated early. And he went so far as to say that people will walk out of the building once he's eliminated. That's very funny. So, giant ego here on Hoovy, and he's out of TNA, he's out of AAA. This is the last we'll see of Hoovy, which is a shame, because he's been freaking great. Yeah, he's really good. I love this line here. Observers say Hoovy seems to have taken his on-air role as captain of the AA, of the AAA team, too hard. Yeah. Apparently he did all this, he buried his partners in English and he didn't realise they probably understood what he was saying. <laughs> Hoovy's really good, but this has always kind of been the thing with him. Yeah, it's his attitude, it's his ego, it's his, like, every, every single time he came back to TNA, there'd be a note in PW Torch, it's like, countdown to Hoovy having a meltdown, and here it is, Hoovy having a meltdown. It's the juice, baby. And, like, the, the story of the match was meant to be, you know, Hoovy is eliminated second, so that, uh, you know, Team AAA is put behind the eight ball as to come back and win without their captain. Like, that was meant to be the story, but then Hoovy's yeah. like, I can't be eliminated second, I'm the star. <laughs> well, it's actually quite fitting that they did it this way, because now they set up their new leader. Yeah, where Hector Garza is the, the new star. So this is a bit of a weird match. <laughs> what, the eight-man tag? Yeah. Uh, yeah, very strange. And uh, apparently, part of the problem is that they went about eight minutes without elimination. Then the referee gave them word from backstage that they were going too long and had to speed things up. So then they whiplashed in the exact opposite direction <laughs> and did seven eliminations in three minutes. And it just kind of ended up being stupid. Yeah, it was, it was like watching an old Survivor series where people would get pinned off like a, like a dropkick. Mm-hmm. It's just like eight minutes without elimination, then boom, 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 everyone's out. Yeah. Also, the PD breaking up the pin thing didn't help. No, which I think was like, you know, still the intended finish, but it was like, when everything else is going so nuts, it kind of makes it stand out. Also, I, I like the, the Garza stuff where he's pulling people up again and it started costing his team, where, you know, it's a callback to the, there's this like tournament to tournament storytelling where he, he's refusing to pin people and then people are getting mad at him. Mm-hmm. And the uh, only other X-Cup stuff is the introduction of Team UK, who will be the next team in the America's X-Cup. Oi, 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 Gabna. <laughs> who will face Team AAA on the first show of April. So that's Dave Taylor managing the team of James Mason, Robbie Dynamite, Dean Allmark, and Frankie Sloan. It would have been such a great bit if you found, like, the fake British wrestler Twitter names. <laughs> you know, like, that thread? Yeah. It's like Jeff the Dumbbell Jackson or something. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't recognize any of these people. <laughs> yeah, like, some of them are UK indie stalwarts, but it's uh, not a good bunch of guys to represent. And they're so indie-looking. At least they got matching jackets, that's cool. But they're so indie-looking. It's just, oh, no. <laughs> it's very funny. And it doesn't help that, like, Dave Taylor's kind of doing the exact same shtick as Scott is. Mm. 
we will bring the trophy back to the queen and all that stuff. <laughs> I laughed so hard at the idea of the queen being like, oh, thank you for bringing back the World X Cup to England. <laughs> They're doing freaking America's X Cup freaking presentation in the Buckingham Palace and the queen is like, I am so proud of you, James Mason. Robbie Dynamite, you have been knighted. <laughs> I was going to say Dean Allmark getting knighted. <laughs> Uh, I think Dean Allmark still does like rep pro stuff every now and again. He does some progress stuff too. He's, he, Dean Allmark's still pretty good. Yeah, I like seeing. I like whenever Dean Allmark pops up. But it's like, come on, you couldn't have got Doug. <laughs> they wanted Doug. <gasps> so some notes on how this came about. The original plan was for Mexico versus Japan, but they couldn't put together a uh, deal on such short notice. Among consideration was Toriman, who they couldn't get people because there was a tournament going on. All Japan who were on tour, New Japan who had a show. And they couldn't have them stay for the week. Noah didn't have work visas. The idea of the Torimon guys coming in? Yeah. Ah! We had the clowns. Ah! <laughs> Could you imagine? It's Milano Collection AT walking in the fucking asylum. Ah, hmm? oh, to live in that world. Hey, you'll get Milano Collection AT in TNA. Oh my gosh. Just to wait like four more years. Hey man, that's better than some of the other things that you've told me to wait for. There's a lot. Listen, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. You like this month. You can't give out to me. <laughs> I've liked like six months that we've watched, all right? So yeah, they thought about doing like a team of like a team international, which would they do? They would do in later X Cups. Eddie Cologne was contacted to be a member of that. Uh, primo. If they still had um the Australia deal, <laughs> Team Australia, right there. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Led by Ashley Hudson making his big return. Of course. The sex Australian champion? Yes. I, I still attest that I'm actually the sex Australian champion. Sure. They pivoted the idea of doing Team UK. It was based around they wanted Doug Williams and Johnny Storm and Robbie Brookside to do it, but FWA had dates that weekend and they couldn't do it. They couldn't commit. Come on! Skip FWA for one weekend! <laughs> Bob Ryder is working as late as March 22nd to convince FWA to cancel Williams and Storm's booking so they could do it, but they couldn't. Oh, it would have been so sick instead of these guys. And then you can still have Dean Olmark because he's cool. <sighs> So when TNA called Robbie Brookside, he suggested the guys, which turned out to be Team UK, which is James Mason, Dean Allmark, Frankie Sloan, and Robbie Dynamite, managed by Dave Taylor. <laughs> so upset that we... The other options were Torimon, or like that kick-ass Team UK. Danny Storm's an established TNA canon guy. Yeah, he's been here multiple times. He was in the Super X Club. Yeah, you... Where's Kid Romeo? <laughs> he's American. Team Italy. <laughs> Dude, Kid Romeo... You put uh Tony Mamaluke. Fuck it. There you go, Tony Mamaluke. You can give him that the main event mafia theme that they had. I'm sure Nunzio would quit to do the Super X Cup or the World X Cup or the America's X Cup. You get Milano Collection eighteen. <laughs> All the Italians, yes. Just get the Italian connection. Get Julia. So that is our first show of April: the Team UK against Team Mexico, America's X Cup. I'm looking forward to it at least. I'm sure it's <laughs> they're all going to get worse, aren't they? Uh, yes, they do get consistently worse. Though we go back up to a, an okay show for the World X Cup in May. Sweet. So the other big story was we had a new X Division champion in March. So Chris Sabin, Elix Skipper, and Sanjay Dutt faced Esaban, Christian Bokaman, and Nasawa in a six-man tag team match on the March third show. And if you watch very closely in the finish, Chris Sabin and Ka- or Chris Sabin and Elix Skipper do stereo splashes and leg drops. Or actually, sorry, it's Sa- Sabin and Sanjay that do it. And you can see when Sabin lands, he he very clearly tweaks his knee. Clearly, he limps out. He, he's actually carried out more or less. He, he's helped out by Sanjay and Skipper. Osaka Pro clowns here in NWA TNA too. We've already talked about that. It's just fun to see him though. Some pretty iconic um, images for people who are like first 
delving into the world of Japanese professional wrestling, I feel. Mm. So you'd... I feel like that's one of the first things you see. It's like, <laughs> like for, for good or for worse, you're like, uh, what's Japanese professional wrestling? You're like, oh, some DDT match and some Osaka Pro match is probably the first two things that come up. Yeah, show them the clowns! Yeah. Send in the clowns. Mike today tells us Ebisan's character is based on the Japanese god of prosperity. True. And that Kuchimo Kamen's name is based on a landmark in Osaka. It's apparently a restaurant. The new Shout out to the new Osaka Pro, by the way. How are they doing? Um, They have a TV deal on Gaiora. Good for them. Do they still have clowns? I think they have some pretty uh, remarkable attendances. Mm, some entirely legitimate attendances, you mean. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that there's some real legit attendances being reported for Osaka Pro. Good for them and their legit attendance. Good work, Zeus. See, I I do have to say, Ebisan, Kwishinbo Kamen, and Nasawa might be the most random trio in TNA history. (sighs) See, it's it's an interesting one, right? To just, like, stroll out here randomly. Well, Nasawa's an established guy. Yeah, Nasawa's been around. He shows up from time to time. It would have been really funny if the Torimon guys were with him, considering what's happening now. Mm. <laughs> or the Noah guys. Either either. God, Nasawa's been everywhere. I also enjoyed Nasawa doing uh, Great Muda tribute spots, given a lot of recent Noah booking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he owes a lot of his career to Muda, so... God damn it. You paid the debt! Uh, <laughs> you sure have. Don West was very impressed with the clowns as well. He was like, these clowns! They're very oh, athletic! <laughs> I still cannot believe we haven't got an ICP versus the Osaka Pro Clowns match. What a waste. But yes, the big thing. So Saban, Sanjay, Skipper won. <laughs> I guess we'll talk about the other thing. And Saban seemed to injure his knee. So Saban was missing for a few weeks. They didn't actually acknowledge it. Even all the way up to when he was coming out to vacate the belt. They were only just been saying on TV that like, oh yeah, he's vacating the belt. Yeah, well, I think when they announced the first thing, they were like, it's a number one contender thing, right? Yeah. And then they switched to a they're actually going to wrestle each other for the vacant belt. Mm. So, so I think they probably just held out hope. Because he's he's only going to be out for another few more weeks, but they figured it's just too long. He's already been off TV for the bones of a month. And also, TV coming up, probably want to have an ex-champ, considering it's a big focus. Yeah. So then March 10th is the X-Cup. Then March 17th... Oh, we didn't even talk about the return of Frankie Kazarian. Jeez. So that's the most important part of the March 3rd we show. We did, because I was like, what a great promo. Yeah, so Frankie Kazarian returns on the March 3rd show as well. He cuts a promo about how he's mad that he wasn't in the America's <laughs> X Cup, about how Jerry Lynn, in particular, was keeping him out of TNA and keeping out of Team TNA. Yeah, um, this is a hell of a promo. Go listen. <laughs> listen, and Frankie does become a good promo. Like, Frankie, particularly in the bad influence era, I think, he, he really comes into his own. He's very charismatic. Yeah, he just doesn't have it quite yet. No, this, this isn't his moment. But he does wrestle Jerry Lynn with the idea being that he wants to prove that he belongs in TNA and belongs in the X Cup, and he does beat Jerry Lynn. Then that's when Raven came out, and I'm standing, I'm screaming, serotonin, serotonin, I'm waiting for it, but I don't know. It must be noted Frankie is no longer the ladies' man. Well, we don't know that. Just maybe he keeps more professional in the ring now. That's true. The whole idea that was that he was hitting on the cage dancers, and they're not there anymore. <gasps> Vince Russo, genius. <laughs> genius storyteller. Sound the alarm. And that's the reason he can now focus and win the X Division mm-hmm. title. Mm-hmm. My god, mm-hmm. Vinny Rue, who are we to ever question you? Who are you to ever question? I, I think I am on record as a staunch Vince Russo supporter. Yeah, Kazarian hit the move that he calls Back to the Future, which is the electric chair drop where he holds their arms and drops backwards. Cool guy. 
And I do like that they focus on Jerry Lynn's shoulder injury. That's like a reoccurring thing coming out of that first America's X Cup because it's probably still hurt. But it, they, mm-hmm. they do build it into the story of all of his matches where it's like his, his shoulder's injured so he's not the same Jerry Lynn he used to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Kazarian or wins with the La Magistral cradle and then rubs it in Lynn's face before he gets DDT'd by Raven. Then uh, the next match we have is him opening the show against Elix Skipper, I believe. Yeah, so they have a, a nice little match. Kaz holds the tights and wins. Then Kaz jumps Skipper after the match for some reason, even though he already won. But then Lajerlin makes the save. Proving a point that he's a right bastard. He is. He's a mean guy. He's just attacking people. Don't attack Elix Skipper. He's going through a lot right now. And he, he does actually kind of get over, like properly get over, because every time he does something cool, like the crowd chant, you still suck at him, which is a good bit. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really impressive when we hit that crazy dive, and then they're like, "Well, you still suck, yeah. oh, Jesus!" <laughs> Literally, anything he does, it's like, "Now nah, you suck." <laughs> it's a good, it's a good bit to like yell at a good wrestler that they suck. Mm. So, the main event of the March twenty fourth show, the whole idea was the X Division is back in the main event for the first time in a while, and we also have the return of the Amazing Red. And thank God. Yes, yeah, so the last time we saw Red was July sixteenth when he lost to Elix Skipper. So it's been the bones of eight months since we've had Amazing Red on NWATNA, and he rules and he's the best, and I miss him. I was excited to see him back, and he does Amazing Red shit. The, that match, Amazing Red defeated Jerry Lynn, P.D. Williams, Ian Skipper, Frankie Kazarian, and Nasawa to become number one contender. Nasawa, man. <laughs> TNA main eventer. He's, he's going to be like having TNA matches all through the year. So Nasawa, big TNA guy in 2004. I love it. I love seeing some Nasawa. So Lynn eliminated Nasawa, the cradle pile driver. P.D. helped Kaz eliminate Lynn by holding the uh, uh, like a cradle in the ropes. Kaz then swerved PD and pinned him with the wave of the future after PD hit the first Canadian destroyer in TNA history. I missed it. How did you miss it? I don't know. I looked away and I, I even scoured, scoured back through the match, but I couldn't find the spot. And I knew it happened because you tweeted about it, but I couldn't find the fucking Canadian destroyer. I was devastated. I cannot believe you missed the first Canadian destroyer in TNA history. Uh, listen, I'm more upset than you could ever be. So the funny thing is, like the crowd were like remarkably quiet for that Canadian destroyer. <laughs> I wonder when the first Canadian destroyer that is the Canadian destroyer will be. You know what I mean? I think it's like the second one because the crowd are kind of shocked at the first one. They, they can't quite process that it's literally like the coolest move in the world. And I think by like after that, it's like, oh, this move is cool. And, and like the announcers start talking it up as like PD has this one devastating kill shot move after like uh, they saw the Canadian destroyer the first time in this match. The Destroyer's kind of fallen off a little bit now, since it was like the in literally every single match on an indie show. I think it's still in literally every single match on an indie show. I think it's died down a little. Indie wrestlers have learned how to work again. No. <laughs> Just with less Canadian Destroyers. I love how dismissive that no was. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then Red pinned PD after her Red Star press. So Red is your number one contender to Chris Saban. Yeah, very excited for Amazing Red versus Chris Saban. Which is definitely a match that's going to happen on the March 31st show, except it's not. <gasps> so Chris Saban has injured his knee and they've made the decision to vacate the X Division title. Chris Saban comes out on crutches. TNA officials asked him to FedEx the title back, but he's like, no, I am a man. I will present it to you in person. I will pay for my own flight. I will come down here and I will present the title. So we... <laughs> I hope he didn't pay for his own flight. So <laughs> they were like... They were like, Chris, please, just FedEx it. We really don't want... Oh, okay, you can come down. So, Kaz defeated Amazing Red to become your new X-Division champion, Frankie Kazarian, becoming X-Division champion for the very first time. Ah, oh, I thought this was the second time. <laughs> Shows you how much I pay attention to the X-Division. So, yeah, I thought they had a, a good little match. 
Nothing special, but a good little match. I thought for sure that Red was winning this. I honestly think Red probably should have won it, but listen, I can't control 2014 TNA booking. Maybe they just were going for the upset. And I, like they did bring Kaz back as a pushed entity. He did beat Jerry Lynn. He did beat Elix Skipper. He did have like a run through most of that. It still match. felt like an upset though. Especially because like they made kind of a deal about Red coming back. He won the six man. They're like Red's back. It's his first. He's back for the first time in eight months. I, I would have thought they would just put the X belt on him. <laughs> yeah. But no, Frankie Kazarian is your new X division champion. Very cool. I think he's PWG champion at the same time. He'll have a resume. He loves winning with roll-ups, apparently, because yeah, Red missed the Red Star Press, and then Kaz caught him with a cradle again. And then slapped Chris Abed at ringside, but then the entire of Team NWA came out and whooped his ass. <laughs> kind of rules. He can't get a push. He beats Jerry Lynn and Raven beats him up. He wins the X title, and all of Team NWA beats him up. I like Kaz, man. I like Kaz as, like, a shit-eating heel, you know? Mm. Fun stuff. I also like that, like, that the guy that everyone hated for a while is now like the, you can't touch Saban! Yeah, Saban's a baby face now, apparently. Yeah, well, he has been for a bit, but he's like he's earned his stripes now, and he's like one of the boys. Yeah, it was basically when he was put in Team NWA that they just kind of, he's a baby face now. It was a little bit before that, but yeah. So, yeah, Kaz is your exhibition champion. He is much better as a heel. I think he, he just, he works better as a heel. He's a more natural heel. Also, he doesn't have to be like, oh, look at the ladies. <laughs> Don't know why he's Irish. So that brings us to the tag division. Let's start with the ICP. Yeah, they rock. Well, what do you want? We have a, a 10-man tag team match on March 3rd, which is Dila Brown, Sonny Siaki, Simon Diamond, Ron Killings, and Conan defeating Kid Cash, Michael Shane, Glengal Birdie, Johnny Swinger, and David Young. This is kind of fun. Yeah, I, I love wacky 10-man tags. I just love throwing as many people as you possibly can into a match and just seeing all the little character dynamics and all the little people who don't normally interact with each other interacting with each other. Oh, all these guys interact with each other this month. Though. That's true. This is the, the, the bunch of people we throw together in the one feud together. So yeah, this was the, the... I guess maybe this is what I thought helped these shows was that all these guys were just regulated to each other. So that, like, all the stars were doing their own thing. So all the nerds on the show were just confined to ten minutes each. But, like, then you got little, you got some people in there that, like, you know, can help put it together as well. With, like, Cash and D'Lo and Michael Shane and Simon Diamond. Yeah, so the, the, this match is the recurring story that every time, like, Swinger would be in the match, Diamond would try to get in, but Swinger would run away. Then everyone hit their move, classic ten-man tag format. Perfectly fine and acceptable. After the match, heels beat up the baby faces, and then to a... Frankly, monster reaction. <laughs> the insane clown posse made the same. Yeah, the, uh, honestly, we say that like Raven and stuff are the biggest stars. Maybe ICP is actually the second biggest star. Maybe they're the biggest stars. They get such a huge reaction whenever they show up on these shows. They should have strapped them up. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the main event of the America's X Cup was the last ICP match in TNA history. It was the Dark Carnival match as Violent J, Shaggy, Too Dope, and Too Tough Tony faced Glengal Birdie, Kid Cash, and David Young. I can't believe you're skipping Wicked Clown style. Oh, was that the, the promo they did <laughs> to set up the Dark Carnival match? Which, once again, they shouted out Mike Tanae, which I, I, I do very much approve. I love their hatred for Hudson. <laughs> They're like, where is Mike Tanay? To be fair, it's not a hatred of Hudson. It's rather just a glowing love of Mike Tanay and anybody who is not Mike Tanay is inferior. They were they were goofing him. They were goofing him this one. Yeah, so they're going to face them in a dark carnival match, as you said, Wicked Clown style. Yeah. King of Wicked Clown style. <laughs> that is the best style of wrestling. That's our next shirt. The Darren shirt and the King of Wicked Clown style shirt. <laughs> it's in the Shinsuke-like shirt. Fun. Yeah. So yeah, main event of the America's X Club show was that Dark Carnival match. You might be asking, Garrett, what's a Dark Carnival match? Good question. 
Garrett, what is a dark carnival match? Good question. They, so they put a bunch of poles up and connected the poles with chains and then hung a bunch of fluorescent weapons and signs off of those chains and put them all around ringside. And also, at random intervals throughout the match, the lights will hit, there will be a light show, and some ICP music will play. So the only negative I have to say about this match is that the music and light should have been playing the entire time. No. <laughs> Yes, that's 100% how they should have done that. I love the fluorescent weapons. I love the aesthetic of this. This is great stuff, good stuff. Yeah, but the music and the lights need to be playing the whole time. I think that would have caused my brain to melt. Good. It's true. Too Tough Tony hit a real <laughs> rad twisting plancher in this match, by the way. Too Tough Tony's a real wrestler. There's also Kid Cash just completely missed a dropkick. Completely missed. Hell yeah. Just ent- gotta be entirely gotta missed. This match was kind of messy. But I kind of love it because it's like it's a dark carnival match. This is the actually bad ICP match. The, I I liked the first Boo. two. I thought the first two were a lot of fun. Boo. This match was just kind of a mess with a bad stipulation. The juggler is gonna come for you. You're a big fan of the dark carnival. That's the ICP lore, isn't it? Uh, yes, that's like the the whole thing. It's like an album of this. I, I was looking into it. I think uh, it's like the, the 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 lore album or like the the deep lore of the ICP goes back to the Dark Carnival. Yeah. Also, if you're a big WCW fan, that was the name of the ICP stable in WCW. They were called the Dark Carnival rather than the ICP. And that rules. Who was in the the Dark Carnival? Stable? It was like Vampiro. There was a Great Muta. You're describing the greatest stable I've ever heard. I want Too Tough Tony to come and team with Muda in Noah. So yeah, the, the, the Dark Carnival were the ICP, Valentine Shagatudov, Vampiro, the Great Muda, and the Demon. That's a perfect stable. So there you go. That's literally a perfect stable. I think it started as a Raven group that kind of morphed <laughs> when Raven left. Apparently it was called The Deadpool at one stage. Because he likes comics. Did you know that? I, I'm aware. So yeah, that's the end of the ICP. The Insane Clown Posse announced on its website that they would no longer be appearing at TNA events. Sources say ICP is upset because they announced a Juggalo after party for the March 17th show, only to find out they were not scheduled to appear. The story going around the locker room is that managed offered to let the duo work a, an explosion match so that the party could go as planned, but the duo said that they had no interest in appearing on the syndicated show and that they're stars. They don't, they, if they're going to show up and do nothing, they're not going to show up at all. <laughs> so they then announced they're done, but then backtracked on that on March 23rd. <gasps> the ICP posted on its website, they're, they're on good terms with TNA. They wished they could hang out there to see Mike Tanae. <laughs> they was like, no, we can't see Mike today anymore. But that their touring schedule wouldn't allow them appearing for a while. And they may get revenge on the person who interfered to cost them the Dark Carnival match, Liam. The returning alpha male Monty Brown. Pounce! Period. After, what, 18 months-ish since we last saw Monty? Monty's back and he is now, unlike last time where he was just weird Monty Brown guy. He is now the alpha male. He is now the guy who does the pounds. He is the Monty Brown we know and love. 100%. Sorry, there was a weird mic noise that my mic... I thought that was you making that weird noise. I was like, what on earth are you doing? Yeah, that was very confusing. It was like... Yeah, I thought there was like a ghost. (laughs) Next to me, I was shitting myself. I thought you were doing some kind of Monty Brown bit. (laughs) No, that was just some random noise that my mic made. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh, that scared me. (laughs) I literally looked over my shoulder because it sounded like it was just in my left ear. I need a minute. (sighs) <sighs> All right. 
So Monty is back on the April 17th show. He cuts a promo where he does deliver the first pounce period in TNA history. Yeah, uh, this dude cuts a motherfucking promo. Even now, like, this is, you know, first show back, he's doing his Monty Brown promo, and he's like, he's on the hunt, he's taking out his uh, opposition, he's Monty Brown, he's the alpha male, he's he's making football references, he's like, oh, I'm gonna win the game this time. Last time I was only just playing the game, but now I'm gonna win the game because I'm Monty Brown, and I'm not gonna be the smiling babyface anymore, I'm, I'm gonna kill people. Because he's Monty Brown. Mm-hmm. I like that he has like the overdramatic head turns and like hand movements of the yeah. rock. <laughs> it rules. The pounce period didn't have the same quite emphasis here. It was literally just pounce period. It wasn't like pounce period. But we, haven't, we haven't got there yet. He hasn't evolved the pounce quite yet. Not yet. So then Monty Brown had his first match back. He faced Chris Vaughn. Yeah, killed him. He killed him. At one stage, threw him over the steps into the cameraman, which rocked. I was reading the the review of the match that you have written down here that you can listen, you can read if you go to teenagechat.com, where it said, Monty attacked after the bell, but Don Harris made the save. And I read, but Don West made the save. And I was like, holy shit, how did I miss that? That would be the dream match for the ages. Don West versus the alpha male. Two alphas colliding. There's no way of knowing who would win. Then you would have to have the battle of Sigma males too, just for the sake of, you know, inclusion. Just you wait until Jeff Jarrett and fucking Monty Brown wrestle. Oh, it will be the alpha male versus the Sigma male. Ah! Yeah. If you didn't think I already had this stuff ready and noted. (laughs) So Monty hit the pounce. It's not as finished at the moment, interestingly. The alpha bomb is still to finish, which is the fall away slam into the power bomb. Mm. Kills Chris Vaughn, as you mentioned. Don Harris made the save, which actually on the show was the exact same angle as the Elix Skipper Frankie Kazarian match. Yeah, I forgot about. Yeah, yeah, I did forget about. Literally, that. like the exact same guy wins attacks after the bell. Guy makes save. They did two matches in a row. There wasn't even matches between that Frankie and Skipper match. It was the last match on the show. <laughs> yeah, creativity here in the NWA TNA. Don't dismiss the booking genius of Vince Russo around me, please. <laughs> so March 24th, Monty Brown was meant to face Don Harris based off of the, the attack and save the, the previous week. But then Monty jumped Harris before the bell, pushed over some referees and then stomped on Harris's arm. I was so, I was so into this. I was, I was hooting and hollering. See Monty kick Don Harris's ass. I was like, oh, I gotta watch this match. And they just beat the fuck out of him. There is no better feeling in wrestling than you're like, fuck, I've got to sit through a Monty Brown and Don Harris match. And then it doesn't happen. Yeah. That should get, like, some booking award. (laughs) Again, Vince Russo, I have to set the alarm. (laughs) It's telling you. After the match, Monty cut a promo about how this is his hunting ground. Then it's open season. He invites anybody to come out and face him. And then somebody does. It's Sabu. I'm so into this, man. This is just... So, so yeah, Monty gets the better of Sabu at first, but then Sabu reverses the alpha bomb into a rana, hits the triple jump moonsault, and then Monty bails. Sabu starts swinging a chair at him. Yeah. And then... I mean, what a fucking match we get next week. Yeah, so based on that, before the match, Monty Brown does another backstage promo with uh, Scott Hudson. He's like, it's not duck season, it's not rabbit season, it's hunting season, and I'm hunting humans. Then he's like, I'm going to pounce your, your mother. You can bring her out with a walker. My favorite part of that is if you look at Scott Hudson's facial expressions, and when the, Monty's like, I'm going to pounce your mom, Scott's like, oh, man. <laughs> he's like, no, please, stop my you mother. You don't have to pounce my mom. Come on. He looks like the FBI now, Monty. If you- don't, don't be doing that. So we then get Monty Brown versus Sabu, which ended in a no contest when they just kept on brawling and eventually got thrown out. So I want that standard kept, TNA. Every time we do crowd brawls, every time we do walking brawls, throw it out. End the match. It wasn't even a particularly like crazy walking brawl. Yeah, Sabu at one stage, he went to, to the dancer's <laughs> cage and he was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to like grab the top of it and... Sw- he tried to climb it. 
And then it like moved as if it was going to shift and fall. And, and just the worst timing in the world. That was when Mike Tanae decided to point out that he was going to try and climb it. Yes, I thought he was going to like swing off of it maybe into like a dive or as he said, climb it and jump no, off he tried it. No, he tried to pull himself up. And it, it was not particularly stable and he just noped out of it. He's just like, no. Also, again, I don't blame him. And Don on commentary is like, oh, Sabu thought better of that there. So they pull apart as Monty Brown continues his feud with Sabu. I'm excited for it, to be honest. So the other two big feuds in the tag division kind of tie all tied together. So we'll just talk about the tag team title tournament. So AJ Styles and Abyss wrestled on the last show of February. If you'd remember, the story was the person who won in that tables match would become tag team champions with a partner of their choice and then face the person who lost in a tag team title match with a partner of their choice. It was meant to be Lex Luger. It was meant to be Lex Luger and Abyss would be tag team champions. But Lex Luger, who if you remember, took a cut rate to appear last week. He only took two and a half grand. He wanted the full five if he was to wrestle this week and TNA told him to fuck off. So they threw that out the window. All fair from all sides. (laughs) Fair play to Lex Luger for wanting to get paid. Fair play to TNA for saying fuck no. So instead of Abyss and a partner being tag champ, the stipulation of that match was just thrown out and it's actually mentioned offhandedly that when Styles and Abyss come out for the Falls Count Anywhere match, they're like, oh, the belts are vacant. Vince Russo just held them up. Uh, but honestly, I'm fine with this tournament because the tournament rocks. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very easy way to put focus back on something. It's just do a tournament, you know? We've yeah. lost focus in the tag division. We've been doing too much stuff with Styles and the Biss and single stuff and the red shirts were champions for God knows why. So we're going to refocus the division. We're going to do a tournament to crown new champions. So starting on March 17th, we have an 18 tag team tournament where 3LK... Uh, there's too many teams. I won't name them now. <laughs> I was like, Strummed door. Go on. Name all the teams in this tournament. Leave the mystery one for last for the sake of suspense. The new franchise. One. Slash and Sing. Two. Returning. Gilberti and David Young. Three. Kid Cash and a not the partner that he was meant to have. Four. It was meant to be Johnny Swinger. Jo- Johnny Swinger was the partner in the tournament. Siaki and Diamond. Five. The Naturals. Six. BG James and Conan. Seven. Before finishing up with the return of not Triple X but Loki and Christopher Daniels in what felt like a big moment. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Is this the first time TNA has done TNA nostalgia? Yeah, I was thinking something very along the same lines too. Like They've done a bunch of ECW nostalgia. They've done a bunch of WWE nostalgia. They've done a bunch of WCW nostalgia. This is the first time they're leaning into their own history in a nostalgic way. They're like triple X is back. Yeah. Which also shows, like, how big of a deal Triple X felt like. Yeah, so the opening match of this tournament, Triple X faced the new franchise. Oh, can't name a match more for me. <laughs> Loki and Christopher Daniels against Michael Shane and Shane Douglas? Yes. <laughs> the most Liam match there ever was? Apparently so. So, before the match, Shane Douglas denied that they were having trouble in the group. Uh, they, they still had tensions throughout the, the gauntlet match the week prior, and James Storm wrestled Shane Douglas as well, and they had issues there too. They also did, like, the pretty, like, uh confronting segment with Shane and Tracy. The week before this, James Storm did wrestle Shane Douglas in a one-off, kind of unconnected singles match to anything else. Well, it's basically playing off the Chris Harris. Yeah, it's mostly to further uh, new franchise stuff. Yeah, um, but there was a really, like, intense segment with Franchise and Tracy. Yeah, so Franchise hits the belly-to-belly, and Tracy accidentally still had the referee distracted so that the referee couldn't count the pin. Franchise turned around into a super kick and lost. Then Franchise got real mad at Tracy. Michael Shane rushed out to her defense, got between them. It was very tense, very awkward, but eventually tensions cooled, but tensions are still there. Yeah, like, it was tense, and it was, like... A little unnerving, but also it made for a really good angle. Yeah, you, you were legitimately uncomfortable at the tension between these people. Yeah, because I think it's just seeing like 
how they interact with each other normally, the three of them, you know? It just, uh, yeah, it struck a nerve that I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty, this is pretty over the top, but like, it made for a really compelling angle, and also like, you know, the rest of the sh- none of the other angles have gone to that point with these three, so I, I'm okay with it now, because it's kind of turned more into a wrestling angle just with that, like, that backdrop. So before that Triple X and new franchise match, Shane Douglas cut a promo denying that there were issues in the group. He said they're strong and they're going to win the tag team title tournament. I believe them. Before Triple X came out, they reunited. They were the mystery team in the tournament. They showed either Skipper backstage looking surprised. Because if you remember a couple of months ago, he was trying to reunite Daniels and Loki, but Daniels and Loki were too busy fighting each other. But now they're back together with the idea being who put Triple X together in the first place. It was Vince Russo. So Vince Russo has put them back together in this tournament. He's been able to mend the fence. I wonder if they, like, within Kayfabe, were taking the spot that uh, Raven and Sabu left. Yeah, because the, yeah, the story was that Russo offered them a spot in the tournament, and they turned down. So, that's I guess, they, that again, Vince Russo, genius booking, that's why there is a mystery spot in the tournament. That's why there's an empty hole. What can I say? The dude knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, real good match. Very enjoyable. Yes. I really like this a lot. I, I, I like this story, though. It was nice to see Key and Daniels together again. The uh, crowd was really into it. I was working as baby faces for both this and the other match. Real great baby faces. Key got the Kojima nose strip. Oh, yeah. He's looking cool. Yeah. I, I really like this. I thought this was awesome. Yeah, so... Tracy accidentally smashed Shane with her cast, allowing Triple X to hit the powerplex and win. Then Shane and Tracy argued. Tracy went to slap Shane, but Franchise cooled everybody off. But then Michael Shane stormed out. Yeah, I thought this was like a little jarring from the last week's uh, segment. But then as the rest of the shows of the month like, kind of came out, you, you understood what they're going through. Like everyone has different problems with everyone. Mm. So Scott Hudson was backstage with Disco and David Young with Trinity. Disco says he needs the master of the Spinebuster, not the clown scared guy to show up for this tournament. Then Cash walks in without Swinger. Cash said he told Swinger to stay home because Cash can't trust Disco and Young after last week after they broke up in the gauntlet match. So he found a new partner from his roots, his personal family. I like that he's like, I especially can't trust you to Trinity. And it's like, you know that you did everything, right? (laughs) You were the problem here, Kid Cash. Johnny Swinger was meant to be his partner, but uh, his wife went to the labor the night before, so that's why Johnny Swinger wasn't here. And I'm sure there was some backstage stories about wrestlers being like, why isn't he here anyway? No, the only one was that not only did they not know that his wife was pregnant, and also a lot of wrestlers didn't know he was married. So... (laughs) Simon Diamond's mentioned it multiple times. <laughs> Best man at the wedding thing. You're not paying attention to the show? Jesus Christ. Uh, but yes, so that's why Swinger wasn't there to be Cash's partner. It's in his name. <laughs> He's swinging. <laughs> I, I just find it interesting how, like, as a stroke of fortune, that is how Kid Cash's partner ends up being Dallas, better known as Lance Hoyt. And Spoilers. Dallas stays around for a long period of time in TNA, and Swinger doesn't. So what if... Uh, you know, Swinger's wife had went into labor like the day after this show. Would TNA history be different? No. Probably not. So Slash and Sin returned <laughs> without James Mitchell. It's nice to see Slash and Sin. I, I still miss Brian Lee. Yeah. They got a Brian Lee mention mm. on this show. So yeah, Slash and Sin returned for the Tag Team Teledemore Tournament. They beat Glenn Gilberti and David Young. Slash pins Young with the Eye of the Storm. Zero and 18. Or the, the Whirly Bird. I, I take umbrage with their zero and 18 idea. <laughs> Literally won last week. They literally pointed out too. They're like, like David, when was the last time you won? It's like, I beat the clowns. It's like, but you didn't score the pin. It's like, that's not how win-loss records work, TNA. Okay, uh, Glenn, you also didn't. Yeah, win. you lost too. <laughs> I don't know. I think, the, do they mean singles matches? No, they literally pointed it out. The zero and eight. He hasn't had 18 singles matches in TNA. Uh, uh, do they mean straight tags and single matches? <laughs> 
No. I'm trying to give them a way out here. They just don't know how win-loss records work. Oh. Well, they know, they're just ignoring they it. They cannot do a sports-based product. They've decided David Young is 0-18, and he's on a loss streak. Mm-hmm. So, we had the third match in the tournament, which was Kid Cash and his pal, which is Dallas, who was unnamed, and Mike Tanae and Don West had to do this entire match without giving him a name. <laughs> they should be like, it's Shadow. They should know who he was. He wrestled twice on Explosion as Shadow before this, so they should be like, yeah, we understand. I hate to be the, the, the bearer of bad news, but I'm done with Sonny Siaki, man. Yeah. I'm not done with Simon Diamond. I still like Simon Diamond. Even though but, there's uh, a moment in this match where freaking Dallas hits him with a slam, he pins him, and it's the classic, referee counts one, referee counts two, Simon Diamond doesn't kick out, and Dallas just kind of gets off the pin and the referee doesn't count three. Um, what is with people in this company not kicking out of fucking pins? It's happened like five times. Maybe he thought it was the uh, that was the finish. He's like, ugh. That's it. Maybe he just wanted the match to end. <laughs> he just wanted to get out of there because he's losing. Yeah. So it's Dallas hits Siaki in the head with a pipe, allowing Cash to score the pin. Cool. But yeah, I agree with you that Siaki is just a guy who's there. It's like D'Lo, and I I blame Siaki more for it for D- than I do D'Lo, because I don't blame D'Lo for the state of which D'Lo's in at all. It's not D'Lo's fault, even remotely, because D'Lo's cool and good. I wish, um, I think Siaki just shouldn't have left the X Division. Mm. Because anytime, like, he comes into the gauntlet, he throws people around, it's, like, real cool. He does the same thing in, like, yeah. the multi-man tag the following week, where he just tags it in and mm-hmm. throws people around, and it's really cool. And anytime he does that, it's cool. Anytime he's, like, grabbing a headlock and working, like, a 1970s-style wrestling match, it's like, dude, do something. Uh, he probably would have benefited more from being an X-Division guy for a couple more years, mm. and just being around those guys. Yeah, just working with AJ and working with Jerry, and, you know, when you get into Saban and Shelly and Strong and Aries... He'd, he'd have good matches with those people, and he'd get better as a wrestler with those people. Yeah. I think just a guy that was miscast. Mm. And then the last of the first round matches, the Naturals defeated BG James and Conan. Uh, yeah, it's actually nice to see the Naturals. So the, the story of this one was Conan was nowhere to be seen, and Killings had a match later in the show against Abyss, so BG had to fly solo. That story, by the way, was a shoot. Conan also arrives late. <laughs> late. He missed his flight and didn't get to the building until five minutes before his match was scheduled to start. They had already uh, on the show talked about Conan not being there and had prepared for a handicap match. Because when you think about it, the way it plays out kind of buries Conan. Yeah. And that, like, if the Naturals beat BG two on one, it's fine. But like, he makes the big triumphant save, and then yeah, loses. he makes the big triumphant save. He runs out, he runs wild, and then gets pinned. <laughs> so it's like, what a dork! But I guess that that is the punishment you have for missing your flight. My favorite part of this is that Mike today on commentary mentions that Conan is wrestling in street clothes, which is a basketball jersey and jeans, which is what he <laughs> always wrestles in. <laughs> no, it's very different. He occasionally wears a football jersey and jeans. Yes, that's, that, that is the go-to. Or he'll take the jersey off, you know. Only occasionally. Yeah, that's for the big matches. Conan does a great, like, a minute of Conan's matches always rule, because he has a great hot tag comeback. <laughs> we say this every Conan But he has nothing else. It's just that he comes in, he hits his moves, he gets out, and Conan looks great, and he hits his lines, and he does his problems, and Conan looks great. And you know what? I fucking respect it. Get in there, make your money, and don't get hurt. So then, uh, last show of the month, we have the two semi-final matches, starting with Triple X against the Naturals. This kind of bank. Yeah, again, putting the Naturals in there as good heels in there with Daniels and Loki as, uh, like, good baby faces. Especially Daniels getting the hot tag in this match. Great hot tag from Daniels. I, I like the Naturals because they look like a mid-2000s tag team, but they wrestle like an 80s tag team. Mm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice little, like, uh, mix and match. 
And Loki is back to hitting people real hard. Yeah, sure is. He walloped Franchise, but that kick, but like Franchise didn't get down for us, just smacked him right in the chest. Yeah, all of his kicks, all of his chops, he's sinking those bad boys in. Love Loki. The Naturals, the whole thing is that they've been throwing powder in people's eyes and hitting them with chairs. So Andy Douglas had the powder, but then Loki kicked the powder into Sh- uh, Shane Douglas's Andy Douglas's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any better. And then Triple X hit the power flex for the win. Then there was tension between Daniels and Loki all of a sudden, but Loki extends the hand and Daniels shakes it and they're pals. Good. They should be pals. <laughs> and then the other semi-final match was Kid Cash and Dallas, who has officially been named Dallas. Yeah, and like Scott, like he just like pretended that he knew. Yeah. <laughs> he just like and Dallas, how are you? It's like oh, okay. I seem to like name them on the internet or something during on the, the week. Internet. They have a website. Wow. NWTNA.com. TNHad.com. ZombieWCW.com. You can also go there. Uh, so Kid Cash and Dallas defeated Slash and Sin in the semifinals to advance to face Triple X in the final and the uh, other America's X Cup next month. So the, the, that show will be Team UK against Team Mexico with a main event of Triple X versus Kid Cash and Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas won with the blackout, by the way, which is a cool move. I thought it was going to be a way bigger reaction. <laughs> Again, it's the, the, the kind of thing where it's like, one, it's the Asylum crowd who don't react to anything. Unless it's the ICP where they go right. absolutely batshit. Should have strapped up Violent J, world champ. Hmm. So that brings us to the last show of the month where we did have that four-way tag team match where it was D'Lo and Apollo defeating Simon Diamond and Sonny Siaki, Daniel Brady and David Young and the new franchise to become number one contenders. Apollo just walks out. They call him Apollo. They pull his mask off and he's just unmasked Apollo now. I, I like that um, even Don West is like, of course, it's, it's Apollo. It's just Apollo. He's just Apollo again. We even had a match last month where he faced Abyss. Don't worry about it. <laughs> where if he lost, he'd be unmasked. <laughs> And now he just Garrett, walks out. Don't, don't worry, Garrett. Don't, it's Apollo. There's no need to get fired up about this. He strolls out and he pulls the mask off. There's no need to get mad about this. It's Apollo. Franchise and Michael Shane get into it again when Franchise wants him to cheat. So Michael Shane walks out. Franchise follows him out. Swinger came, comes out, hits Diamond with a chair, but the pin was broken up. But then Apollo won with a TKO anyway. <sighs> so we don't currently have tag team champions, but we do have number one contenders for the tag team titles. <laughs> Great. So D'Lo and Apollo will face the winner of Triple X against Kid Cash and Dallas. Just as I was getting excited for the tag team titles. <laughs> you have D'Lo and Apollo ruining everything. A little bit. So that's it. That's the month of March 2004. Again, another interesting rebuilding month. Like the fifth interesting rebuilding month we've had in TNA history so far. Yes. But it does feel like they're they're establishing directions toward building toward being on television and those directions are good they made the world title feel important they have a real world title scene they're fleshed out the tag tag division and the x division to have like a proper division and not just two teams they have good undercard feuds like monty and sabu yeah a good month on the whole it started off a little dull i think i liked it more like revisiting it and talking about it but um as it got towards the end i was like yeah you know things are looking good it looks like they're trimming the fat a little bit everything feels a bit more important it has an aura of big time pro wrestling which we haven't really seen for a while so let's go very quickly show by show nwtna baby number 84 you got anything in this show so bg james joined commentary for the 10-man tag on this match <laughs> and i went no and mike today said the line who better to add insight than BG James? And Mike, I can think of lots of people, frankly. This is your guy. <laughs> Mike today or BG? <laughs> I mean, take it as you wish. But... Uh, when Raven is giving out about the fact that he hasn't gotten a title shot, he says the classic, what about me? What about Raven line? To which Don responds, he's got a good point. 
No, he doesn't. <laughs> the Naturals try and attack Raven and Sabu in this. We did barely, barely mentioned it, but Sabu does a moonsault where he comes down foot first on Chase Stevens' head. <laughs> yeah, it was really rough. Clowns. Do you think the clowns wanted to join the ICP? No. I also don't think they're clowns. They are clowns. I don't think they're clowns. At least the Japanese gods of prosperity, but that might also be a clown. There's no way of proving otherwise. Uh, it feels insensitive. Clowns are prosperous. Mm, I don't want to talk about I clowns. think you're just mad at the clowns bullying you. I mean, wouldn't you? Hey, clowns have never bullied me. I'm too tough. Ooh. And Super X Cup Show, NW18A Baby number 85. 85. Just that this whole... Sh- I didn't... I did appreciate that the show just had random interludes for story stuff throughout it. Yeah, well, like, I get it, because they want to push the... Especially when they have the, the Harris and... Um, Whatchamacallit. Jarrett match the next week. They do. Jarrett? They, I don't remember his name. It's fine. Uh, I don't uh, like. I, I don't mind them wanting to drive people, especially when the whole idea of these X-Cup shows is to get internet nerds to watch for the work rate matches that don't watch every week. So they're like, oh, look at our angles. Yeah, I, um, I, was giving it, I, was, I was giving it a positive and you made it sound like I was, I was shitting. Well, on. there you go. Yes, I agree. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, this is what I meant. Why are you yelling at Stop me? Stop yelling. I agree. Johnny Devine had a real sweet float over into a test drive. Johnny Devine's pretty cool. He's one of those wrestlers who's maybe not great, but he does innovative stuff. Is the same Johnny Devine that ends up with Team 3D? Yes. And Paparazzi Productions and all that, yeah. I love this guy. NWA TNA Baby number 86, which we did for the watch along at tnachad.com, patreon.com slash kidding me, so you can enjoy our full watch along of this show. I didn't take any notes during it, so good show. Go watch it. Stuff happened. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you anything. Freeloaders. Liam read some Pokemon descriptions. Ooh, I did do that. We talked extensively about that new Authors of Pain company. <laughs> yes, uh, if you want, if you want our our hopes and dreams for wrestling entertainment, series, maybe probably. Yeah, go uh, go check that show out. So that brings us to NWTNA baby number eighty seven, March twenty fourth, where during the Slash and Sin against Glenbury and David Young match, Don West started pointing out that David Young is a multi time NWA Wildside Tag Team Tire Champion. It's like, look at him, look at him learning his his wrestling history. Yeah, and he you are. Diminishing the talents of one David Young. Mm, mm. Be more like Don West. Pumping up his tag title runs. No, just, you know, be fair. An interesting note. When Don Harris was making his entrance for the Monty Brown match, JB mentioned that the match has a 20-minute time limit. I didn't even notice it. Which is the only match I believe he mentioned having a time limit. And the match never even happened. But It was a G1 rules, I guess. Honestly, my favorite piece of Mike Denae and Don West commentary was during the Dallas and Kid Cash match, the first one where they didn't know who Dallas was. Mike Denae is like, I don't know who he is. And then Don is like, if you don't know, how am I going to know? <laughs> At least he understands. Uh, oh, and God, the most annoying thing in the world, during that main event six-man exhibition match, which was Elimination Rules, they started breaking up pinfalls. Yeah, um, but I thought that was intentional. Because it was foreshadowed. I mean, at least the one time that I made big note of it was when, like, Petey did it. Mm. And I think he was saving Kaz then. Was he? Yeah. So I thought that was, like, a setup for them working together. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I have to go back and check that. If it, if it was, the announcers totally bungled that because they buried Petey instead of pointing out that he saved his arrival. Well, I think that we weren't supposed to know that they were working together at that point because that was before they started teaming up. They should have at least connected the dots. Mm. Well, I connected the I'm dots. I'm too dumb. Because I'm a smart listener. I'm not smart enough. And then, last show of the month, NWTNA paper number 88, they talked about D-Lo's All Japan stable, which is called Roughly Obsess and Destroy. Hell yeah, it is. He's got his new gear. Who's in that stable? Uh, everyone, I believe. Takamichi Noku, Taiyo Kia, D-Lo Brown, Buchanan, Jamal, Rico, The Gladiator, Gigantus, Just Incredible, Matt Morgan, Rosie, Kazma, Masahiro Chono, Psycho, Blue K. What a stable. Everyone. Half of whom who have been in NWTNA. 
I assume that's just like a generic Gaijin stable, so is it? Yes. Mm. And like, because Taka was the only Japanese member, really. Yeah. But oh. um, you got Jamal and Rosie in yeah. there. Matt Morgan. Yeah, Jamal, Rosie, and Rico. They should have put them together. Did they put them together? I assume they were all in the same stable. Mm, maybe they were all there at different times. I don't know. Would you like to see the championships that were won? Let me know. The All Age Tag Team Champions. Who won them? Buchanan and Rico. What a tag team. The Triple Crown Champion, Taiokia. The Junior Heavyweight Champion, Takamichinoku. Mm. The World Tag Team Champion team of Taiokia and Jamal. <laughs> Just everybody teaming. Who, Taiokia and Jamal also won the Strongest Tag Determination League. Nice. Jamal won the famous January 2nd Corican Hole Heavyweight Battle Royal. Sure. That's a, lot of, a lot of big stuff here. Okay, this is just them winning other things at other companies, but at the same time. Of course, in the Global Tag League Technique Prize of 2008 and 2009, D'Lo Brown and Buchanan would reunite. Of course. To win the GHC Tag Team Championships. Big, roughly obsessed and destroy nostalgia run that everybody wanted. Atayakia and Jamal also won the Hawaii Championship Wrestling... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Heritage Tag Team Championships. Oh, good, good pronunciation there, Liam. Kekalike Heritage Tag Team Championships. This is what you get for reading things on the podcast. It is twelve thirty a.m. My last note: We mentioned the tables collapsing. It was in the Monty and Sabu match that the table just collapsed under Monty's weight. And he committed to it, though. I will mention once again: Step off off the chair into double rotation black hole slam. It was so good. <laughs> Just give it. I have the clip. I'll post it after, right after we finish recording. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a good month. Yeah, good month of TNA. Excited to go into April for that Team UK against Team Mexico America's Ice Cup show. The other 75 shows that'll follow. Hey, I think it's a four-show month, so you're fine. So that's it. That's March 2004 in TNA. We crawled over the three-hour mark. Well, it'll be cut down to like 2.30 <laughs> in editing. So I know, but we know. So we will be back in uh, like a week and a half, probably, with the April 2004 show. We'll be back this weekend with our penultimate episode of Ring King. Our next episode of Rain Takers will be June 10th. That's for the 2012 Best of the Super Juniors tournament. That's on Patreon as well, as well as the June 16th Dominion show with Okada and Tanahashi on top. So that's all your content coming both on the main podcast feed and at tnhad.com or patreon.com slash kidding me uh, then two weeks after that uh, we'll be doing a special tna 20th anniversary episode that you can look forward to on june 19th which is also the one year anniversary of this podcast you can follow us on twitter at tna history pod you can follow me on twitter at garrett and you can follow liam on twitter at the glee muta thanks for listening and bye bye do the dawn thing